And we have got a huge amount of guests lined up, but nowhere near as many guests as we've got lined up for next week. Next week, we are doing a six-hour mega Atwood Unleashed 100 episode with some of your heaviest hitters, viewer favourites, and Ash is putting that together as we speak. So, tonight, we have got seven guests across the show, and we are going to be doing all three hours on YouTube, and it's actually less than seven guests, but we're going to get to that. So, as usual, from 5.45 to 6, we talk about the news of the week. We have a coronation special going out with Paula M. on Friday night, 7pm UK. It's two hours long, but if you're one of our Patreons, you can watch it tonight at 9pm UK on Patreon. We've never had Paula M. on the channel before. She was referred to us by Samantha Markle, Megan's sister. And she really knows her stuff about Meghan, the royals, a lot of royal history. And she's a dynamic speaker as well, so it was really interesting. It was co-hosted by Ron Swanson, who's also another channel favourite. Then we're going to be getting into Tucker Carlson with the first two guests. Many of you saw that he was fired by Fox. And our first guest, Vince Dow, is a conservative content creator He's drawn hundreds of thousands of followers to his YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and he's appeared on Vice, New York Post, and The Daily Wire. So we're going to be talking to Vince about Tucker Carlson's departure from Fox and what it means for conservative-leaning media. Next, we'll be joined by Liberty Lockdown podcast host and truth seeker Clint Russell. He has a podcast for people that demand freedom. Give me freedom or give me death where he interviews a number of creators, authors, investigative journalists, and fellow truthers. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Pentagon Papers, Tucker Carlson's next move after leaving Fox, and his experience speaking with Julian Assange's family. I don't know if some of you guys saw, but last night, my friend Patrick Bet david at Valuetainment offered Tucker Carlson a $100 million contract for, for Tucker to become part of Valuetainment for the next five years. Yeah. And then Stephen's got the next guest. Yeah, so from 7pm, I'll be speaking to political and social commentator Keith Woods. Uh, Keith will join us to discuss whether we are heading towards a new wave of radicalism. Uh, We'll be chatting about the effect of Elon Musk, Andrew Tate, Dylan Mulvaney and Scott Adams and what effect they're having on society uh, specifically. Uh, then from 7.30, uh, this will be last up on the YouTube section, is Michael Toon. Uh, or maybe not last up, depending on the schedule this week, actually, Sean. Uh, he's a YouTube creator who is wager- waging a war against the flat earth community. Uh, his channel focuses on making videos, exploring the real world and an insistence on evidence. Sounds like my kind of chap. Uh, the majority of his videos focus on globe deniers and sharing with everyone the evidence for the actual shape of the world. Uh, so if there's any flat earthers out there watching, uh, maybe you'd like to come on and debate Michael at a later date. That could be fun. Shout out to Andrew Gold in the live chat right now, my fellow hurry-backed brother. I would uh, not allow him <laughs> near my back presently as I have shingles. <laughs> and, um, looks like the bubonic plague meets radioact- radioactive uh, disaster. I can attest, I, I previously just had it in HD. Uh, yeah, well, yellow, a guided tour. 
at the shingles. Yellow yellow boils are forming on the shingles right now. <laughs> Apparently it gets better after they hatch. <laughs> so, oh, so, uh, <laughs> so um, from eight to nine, content creator and podcaster Sean Hibbler will be making his debut on the show. Michael Jackson has been a polarizing figure in recent years with many accusing him as a beep, beep, beep. One of those monsters who does heinous crimes against kids. Oh, thank you, S. Robson. It is some painful stuff. It's, it's like I'm getting blowtorched and electrocuted at the same time and nestled. Um, it's a nice job, but it's good suffering. It's good suffering. These things make us appreciate our health. Uh, so, Sean Hibblett is going to be going through the theories, including whether Michael Jackson faked his own death. Now, this is a theory I've not heard before. I've heard all the stuff about him being a deviant, but let me ask you viewers, put a one in the chat if you think Michael Jackson faked his own death. Put a two in the chat if you think Michael Jackson actually died. I did watch the episode of Autopsy about Michael Jackson and how he was getting his substances let's say from doctors uh as a lot of these celebrities do they don't consider themselves addicts because they're getting their supply from doctors and he was on quite a cocktail of substances one two 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 one yeah it looks like mostly twos yeah yeah did you ever watch autopsy Stephen? Can't say I have. I did read some of the reports at the time about Michael Jackson's autopsy, you know, hugely underweight, I believe, you know, quite, I think he maybe had a wig, I think it was said, he didn't have his real hair, he seemed quite a very unhealthy man, very dependent on the substances, like you said. Yeah, same with Prince, you know, these guys were magical on the stage, but at what cost? They were taking so many prescription pills so that they can do these performances. They looked in, unhuman because they were unhuman. Um, because they were fueled by these things. All right, so, like I said, the Coronation Special coming on Friday night at 7pm <laughs> with Paula M. But we've also got a pre-Coronation um, Special with and Andrew Steeple, uh, Matthew Steeple's Andrew Gold looking at. With Matthew Steeple's tomorrow night at 7 his tirade on Fergie video was the highest voted Steeples video I've ever done. 99 point something percent approval rating. And he does a whole, I think, five plus minutes tirade on Fergie again. You've got this tomorrow night at seven. I think we've got about an hour, hour and a half with Steeples Thursday. Mark will expose nine. And then we've got the two-hour coronation special Friday night as well. Um are you going to be, don't we have to like do some kind of vow to, to King Charles, Stephen? Are you going to... Sort of North Korean ritual. <laughs> so I have to, do I have to get a haircut? To get a haircut or a silly heart or something? Are you, going to swear I mean, allegiance, are you going to swear allegiance to King Charles? Unlikely, I'll be honest. I'm grateful. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll doff my cap to the, uh, the extra bank holiday for sure. But uh, I'll probably, probably swerve most of the, the pomp and ceremony. Let's do another quick poll then. Put a one in the chat if you're going to get down on your knee and swear your allegiance to King Charles for king and country. Put a two in the chat if you don't give a S about the royal family and you by no means the thought of swearing allegiance to King Charles. 
is an abomination to your very being. Let's see what comes in. Let's see what comes in in this one. Are you following this Tucker Carlson thing, Stephen? It's all a bit weird, isn't it? We're not getting obviously whatever they've agreed and settled on is hush hush, and we're not getting the particulars. And he's a, he was a massive draw for viewers and presumably money for Fox News. So the fact that they've got rid of him uh, really does kind of indicate something pretty serious has gone on in the background because Fox News aren't ones for quote unquote cancel culture or canning someone for having uh, views that are unorthodox, shall we say? I mean. Of all the things Tucker Carlson said over the years, to no consequence whatsoever, it does make you wonder what's actually happened. Charles should be swearing allegiance to the people. Yes, Ray J, we salute you. Totally agree. Do you think that Tucker Carlson was part of the Matrix, but he woke up and started to become outspoken and then the Matrix got rid of him? No, I, I think they banked on him being outspoken and causing waves. Uh, that was the brand. That was the thing. Before him, Bill O'Reilly was the same. It seems to be Fox News is raised on debt, doesn't it? I think something more serious has happened behind the scenes that they just can't can't justify or excuse publicly. Yeah. Um, let's, let's read this from Mother Duck. In the future, Sean Matthew Steele will be in chat with you. It seems to be all clips with like one place. Yes, Mother Duck. So the full Steeples is coming out tomorrow, 7pm. And then we've got Paula M, Friday night, 7pm. Um, we put the clips out as well because we're so algorithmically strangled on this channel. You know, we've got almost 800,000 subscribers. And if we can clip things up, then it increases the reach of the stories that we're trying to get out. Because the algorithm is not showing our content which is why we ask you viewers to please subscribe to the channel. Help us get up to 800,000 here. We're at 770,000 in the last couple of days. And if you like and share the videos, it doesn't cost anything. But um, if we can gain momentum with the algorithm, then it will. we could slow down and everything, cutting up these podcasts into, into little pieces. We'll slow down on it when we do that. Awakened mind. Flat Earth is gaining exponential growth. So where do you lie on the on the side of the flat earth debate, Stephen? On its wind height. Um, <laughs> I think it's quaint and relatively harmless, but unbelievably funny that in 2023, with all the available technology and knowledge at our fingertips, there are people really invested in the idea that the Earth's flat. It's it's an oblate spheroid. This is this is true. This is established. But you know, I'm open to uh, contradictory evidence. Uh, it just makes you wonder, though, as well, like, let's say the Earth is flat. For what means is this being uh, kept from us as a truth? For, for what ends do the governments benefit from having a flat Earth system on, on the sly? It makes no sense to me whatsoever from any angle. The Earth's, the Earth's an oblate spheroid. Done. We can, we can nip that in the bud now. It doesn't look flat when you're in the airplane, does it, and you're looking down? Nope. Certainly doesn't. All, all from any other planet than our own that satellites either travel to or gone past, <laughs> uh, for example. I mean, you can you can practically see the horizon. I mean, it, 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 it carts back to the day of sailors, explorers, thinking that if they got to the, the horizon in a, in a boat or a ship, they'd drop off the face of the Earth. And we're very surprised to discover that actually America was there uh, rather than oblivion. So, yeah, it, it doesn't stack up. But, I, I mean, I'm interested in hearing people 
people explain why they believe it. You're being asked, who coined the term oblate spheroid? This is from that, Meister Eon. That was me just then. It's mine. Oh, okay. It's not. I've no idea. Some, some <laughs> very smart physicist, uh, I would imagine. I think that's because people typically say the Earth's a sphere or it's round, and it's, it's actually on an axis, axis, and it's actually slightly more squished than you'd think. So it's, it's, it's more like a, a compressed rugby ball rather than a, a perfectly spherical object. We had David Weiss on, Julian. And awake in mind, the Earth is verifiably not a sphere, nearly 25,000 miles in circumference. Who's got a tape measure that long? I'm calling nonsense on that straight away. Ooh, we've got a super chat here from Sparky Steve. Thank you. You need to get tune on to take down dearth. We've got Ash working on these debates. Um, and I do believe we're going to have some round table discussions next week at Wood Unleashed 100. Can you believe it? Six hour show and Ash, did you say Ash that we're starting an hour earlier, is it, or is it? So that was that what he said earlier, Ash. I think I think he did say we're starting a little bit earlier. Maybe maybe the first guest, I think he said maybe quarter to five potentially. Don't think that's in concrete yet. Host calling Ash. Please confirm. Over. <laughs> we know you are watching. Right, I've got Vince ready, so I will see you soon, my friend. Good luck. All the best. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. All right, here we go. We're going to bring Vince in and get down to the subject matter we discussed earlier, including Tucker Carlson's departure from Fox and what it means for conservative-leaning media. Right, let's bring him in right now. Oh, Ash just sent me a message. One sec. Yeah, so next week, Outward Unleashed is starting at 4.45pm and going until... Not midnight, surely. 5.11, I think. Going until 11. <laughs> 11, yeah, 11. Hey, Vince, how's it going? I'm good. How how are you doing? It's good to uh, reach the... You're, you have a British audience, I assume, right? We're across the pond a little bit right now. <laughs> We've got a global audience, okay. but pre predominantly the biggest uh, section is out of Britain, yes. Yeah. So, welcome. Well, it's good to, to see the... you guys, okay? I, you know, a little bit of diplomacy, international relations, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. And can you just t tell the Brits a bit about yourself then? Yeah, so I'm Vince Dow. I'm a Gen Z Christian conservative commentator who, you know, mainly speaks on American politics and, you know, American cultural issues, especially. I consider myself kind of the cultural culture warrior type of person. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I think we discuss a lot of the, the same issues. We have very similar things happening in our country with whether it's gender ideology, this whole concept of hate speech, you know, and, and the issues of things like, uh, you know, mass migration and all those different types of stuff. And so I, I you know, I think, uh, I think we could have a great conversation here for sure. Definitely. And what do you think of Alex Jones? Uh, I think that he's been vindicated a lot in recent years, you know, and it's very interesting because for, and maybe this is just kind of the era I came up, but when I, I remember when he first got banned from YouTube, to a lot of conservatives, not all of them, but to a lot of the conservative media, he was something that you would never touch. It was like he was a firebomb too controversial. And then what started to happen, especially during, you know, the certain pandemic, whatever, you know what I mean, YouTube, um, 
a lot of the things he said actually started to become vindicated. And then now I think he's arguably become a mainstream conservative figure on the right. And, you know, no one is scared anymore to say Alex Jones is right, platform Alex Jones. And so I think it's a good thing for the Overton window, and it's good for him, obviously. Oh, oh, we lost you there for a few seconds, Vince. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I used to watch Alex Jones before he was deplatformed. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a series of books exposing the war on drugs, uh, the, the role of the CIA, the Clinton crime family. Yeah. And I learned so much from AJ. And I ended up interviewing some of the people uh, like Freeway, Ricky Ross, um, that he himself brought to the table. So I really appreciate you know the, the work that he did over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, Tucker Carlson then, what... Just for, just for quite a few people in, in England have no idea who he is. Can you just explain who he is first, Vince? So Tucker Carlson, I, I think the, the best comparison I can make here, Tucker Carlson is a very prominent, you know, conservative commentator. He's on Fox News. Um, and he's sort of in the realm of being right-wing conservatism. He's sort of that, you know nationalist, populist, anti-establishment level of conservative. I, I suppose I'd probably compare it to like Nigel Farage in your country, right? Because there's the mainstream cons- British conservatives and then, you know, there's sort of the British nationalists who are, you know, the the, the people who first, first pushed Brexit and stuff. And obviously Nigel kind of gets blackballed a lot by the, you know, the, I'm sure the UK Conservative Party. So if you took him and kind of made him into a, you know, commentator figure, that's basically who Tucker Carlson is. And, you know, he's sort of been that lone, true conservative, true right wing voice at Fox for the past few years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always seemed an inevitability because Fox News in America is the conservative network, but it's the, you know, establishment conservative network for the most part. And there are other good people at Fox, but for the most part, that's kind of what it is. And so Tucker was always sort of walking on a line. And for a while, they couldn't get rid of him because he was so popular. And he is very popular, but um, they've now made the decision. There's speculation as to why. But yeah, fo- the most prominent uh, conservative TV channel in America has let go of its most popular anchor that is beloved by the people that's the short end of it how long has his career in media been then what was what's been his trajectory has his viewpoints changed over the years or yeah so he i mean he's been around for years his father worked in the media it's a sort of a long-term legacy family but that's what makes tucker carlson interesting is that he is a person by his own admission that basically comes from the establishment right came from the sort of historic political class and you know for a while he was kind of this generic republican conservative and in 2003 he was in support of the iraq war and he had vicious debates about it you know defending bush and stuff in 08 he had his more libertarian phase but um you know i very recently in about starting probably about 2014 2015 he started to sort of have this ideological change where i think he got older you know he raises children and stuff in this country and he saw the decline of that political class of what the political class has done to america i think that sort of ignited a spark in him where he as someone who kind of comes from the elite now speaks up against the elite very similar to donald trump i would say that's probably a strong comparison there so you've described two revisions of his worldview, two major revisions of his worldview that occurred. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the catalyst for them was? Um, I'm not exactly sure what the, what the libertarian arc was. I was very young. <laughs> I didn't even know who Tucker Carlson was at that age. I think actually I was probably mm. in elementary school or so. Um, but I, I, I would assume if I were to guess, you know, starting in the later years of George Bush, there 
was a conservative sort of upheaval against you know that that sort of philosophy right the neoconservative globalist philosophy of you know right-wing thought the iraq war was failing we were blundering in the middle east domestically things were starting to go downhill and so i would if i were to guess i think that he got on each populist wave of the right so what happened in kind of 08 2010 and stuff was the tea party right and so that was the first sort of wave of anti-establishment conservative politics, we said, okay, cut the federal government, you know, get, we need to be true conservatives on fiscal issues. And then the second wave with Trump and sort of that MAGA populist wave was we need to be true conservatives on, on cultural issues, right? And so if I were to guess, that would probably be from what I observe in his career, uh, it's it's really that he's kind of been one of the first ones to get on the wave when the right starts to realize what it's doing wrong. Um, you know, he kind of followed both of those trends, I, I think. And, you know, I think that speaks to him possibly thinking ahead or, you know, because in his industry, right, a lot of other media figures, they're, they're usually late to the curve, right? He seems to be ahead of the curve on these things, so... So what did you think about the alliance then between the Clinton and Bush crime families? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it speaks to the fact that there is a uniparty in the United States, right? And they'll, they'll disagree on minor cultural issues, minor issues of economic policy. But, you know, at the end of the day, there there's a, a common belief that, you know, more or less, the, the United States is not really a country of people, right? It's, it's not actually a nation to beloved and protect. It's more so of just an economic zone right a, a a market to sell out to foreign countries you know gigantic you know monopoly corporations it, it's it's a sort of this empire to spread around the world right you'll notice when on the issues that really do seem to matter the supposedly conservative establishment that would be your bush family the supposedly liberal establishment the clinton family they really seem to uh, agree on most things and you know the bushes might cut your taxes the clintons might give you a little bit more benefits but at the end of the day the country basically heads in the same direction so in that within that corporate empire then which vested interests do you believe have the most power for example the military industrial complex would that be near the top um, it, I think it kind of depends in, in, in what sector specifically. I, I think in the modern United States, the most powerful sort of force is the new Silicon Valley type of money, if, if, if that makes sense, right? I, I think the, you see how much power the tech industry has and how much money they have, and it's new money. And also because it's new money, it actually is a lot more money than some of these like older, you know, longer like kind of normal businesses and stuff like that and you see the influence they exert they can literally control the speech in the united states right because we, we have a first amendment by law right you 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 have free speech but if they control all the platforms where anyone here is like for instance this platform then they really are the ones with the power and uh you know you see some kind of offhand investment firms like blackrock blackrock is a big one in the united states where they what they basically will do is they buy up shares of corporations and just use that influence to push like a left-wing social agenda and and you know they're a big driving force behind esg and all that stuff so um i i'll probably say that it's this new technocratic sector that probably has the most influence in our country right now so what's your take on facebook twitter and tiktok and who owns them all yeah i mean i think that 
the I, I, I think that the United States should pursue uh, legislation to protect free speech on big tech, some type of declaration that like, you know, these are public platforms and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of those companies themselves, I mean, I, I, I don't particularly like social media or the era of social media that we have now, but um, I do think that it is necessary to use any medium that is culturally influential to spread our ideas. It's kind of a, a, a deal we have to make with a modern world, I suppose. And so I, I, th I see them mainly as vessels to spread our ideas, but also hinders the spread of our ideas because they have these guidelines. So it's a love-hate relationship. Do you think that Elon Musk taking over Twitter is a move in the right direction? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Twitter has been a lot better. I, I don't think it's a perfect platform, but, you know, he unbanned me, obviously unbanned a lot of right wing accounts out there. So, you know, I, I still don't think it's a 100% perfect platform. But, you know, I, I like Elon Musk. I, I like what he's doing and trying to do with Twitter. And I, I also think that th an underrated aspect of this is that um, what Twitter does will by proxy in my opinion impact what a lot of other media companies do because you notice this is a big part of how social media operates is they actually kind of take cues from each other banning of donald trump right they kind of all did it at once banning of andrew tate they all did it at once and then you notice this when donald trump was reinstated on twitter what happened a few weeks later a few months later i should say facebook Instagram, YouTube, they all also end up letting them back. Like, so the fact that Twitter kind of is a leading role in that market space, I think is actually going to, if not make the other platforms perfect, at least kind of push the other platforms in the right direction. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's very important. And Twitter, in my opinion, is the most important social media when it comes to politics and political ideas it's where they spread and kind of break the fastest so um I, I think it's a it's a big thing for our culture it's a big force in the right direction all right vince we'll get back to trump and tate but let's go to tucker then mm -hmm. so why you know for people over here like i said many are not clued into the american news why is tucker in the news so much right now well, like I said, he he got fired from Fox News, which was a, a big. That's like their their most they're the only host basically bringing money to the network they got rid of, and the the spec it's it's not really clear as to why he's been let go. There's speculation on a few different fronts. Um, one potential thing that they're saying is a possibility is because Rupert Murdoch, who runs Fox News, head of Fox News, uh, he was not happy that Tucker aired the January 6th footage on his show and basically broke it down and saying, hey, this is not what they said it was. And so there's speculation that, that they weren't happy about that. There's some that's saying it's related to his, uh, like this defamation lawsuit with Dominion. And there's some that are saying, oh, well, there's these like tapes on Tucker Carlson where they're saying he was not acting professionally in the workplace or whatever. And you actually watch the tapes, the tapes, they are leaking on Tucker Carlson as blackmail. And uh, it's, it's all incredibly benign. It's incredibly normal. So I think whatever these specific reasons, which we don't really know at the moment, um, it, it's not really been made clear. I think it really, what it really boils down to in essence is Tucker Carlson is one of the only people on that network speaking truth to power. Um, and because Fox News is, you know, they, they're, they're, I think, a, a positive cultural force. It's good for conservatives that it exists. In many ways, like we brought up earlier, is sort of an agent of the uniparty, an agent of the establishment. Um, you know, there's always going to, there was always that conflict there. And I guess the dam finally broke. That That's 
definitely the answer. Yeah, I woke up this morning and saw my friend Patrick Beck David from Valuetainment mm-hmm. had offered him a hundred million over a five year period. Yeah, yeah. What what is that something that Tucker would contemplate? I have no idea. I'm not in Tucker's mind. Um, but what I will say is I think that if I were talking, I know it's sort of an out of left field thing, right? Because Valuetainment, I, 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 do they even have anything outside of Patrick, right? It's like one YouTube channel, I think, right? But um, I mean, first of all, that's plenty of money. I think that money rivals what a lot of other media outlets out there would probably offer Tucker. Um, but the other thing is that it's already a very big platform on YouTube, right? And uh, so to my, my thing is this, I think that cable news and maybe it's i'm sure it's the same case in your country cable news is a dying medium it's it's dying very quickly i i would estimate in its current form it probably has about 10 years left obviously old people still watch it it still does have a viewership base but i mean you look at the video of tucker his his uh his kind of follow-up video on twitter after he got released it has something like i think 60 70 million views on twitter and you look at your average cable news primetime slot, you get about 200,000, 300,000, a couple hundred thousand viewers. <laughs> I think that the actually, yeah, I think that the reach on the internet nowadays is actually bigger than it is on TV. It will be seen by more people. I think that the internet in many ways is more culturally influential of a force nowadays than cable news. And considering, you know, YouTube is, you know, the big platform and all this stuff. I, in my opinion, I think that would be a good move for Tucker to go to something at least that's on the internet that's on youtube whether that's patrick bet david's thing or the daily wire or he just starts his own youtube channel i genuinely think that could grow to be a, a bigger thing than tv news and i i think the the kind of forces you've seen in culture become prominent in the last few years and the way it's really been on social media not tv i mean think about it. how many new tv shows in the past few years can you think of where they've become these big culturally important things like yeah your legacy things that have been around for decades they're still important but it seems like everything new nowadays that's blowing up and everyone's talking about it's all on the internet right and so i think that uh tucker would be wise to come to our sphere here yeah the only time i ever watch tv is when i go visit my parents who are in the right right exactly yeah and they they still want yeah right (laughs) they got the the bbc news on and they're watching politics and all that stuff yeah. yeah exactly and, yeah, and th- so, there is that demographic, and it always will be that. But, I mean, you know, think, of, first of all, time. Like, we understand, right? Over, like, eventually, that generation, sadly, is not going to be with us anymore, right? Um, and then, you know, kind of what happens at that point? Like, none of us are watching TV. So, I, I definitely think that the time is ticking uh, against cable news. And also, there's a lot of old people that are starting to come over to our sphere. I, I don't know if you observe that on your channel, but, you know, I, I, I have, like, senior citizens nowadays who come up in my live chats and i'm like i know i didn't i was like wow you guys know how to use this but they they're learning you know they're learning even some of them so yeah our royal family especially the Meghan markle coverage has really brought in a lot of the yeah. older demographic especially from america as well yeah so we're halfway through talking to vince thou if you're anyone wherever you're watching this in the world facebook youtube uh wherever it is if you've got a question for our guest Please put it in the chat or comments and it will come up on our screen right here. So we've got one from The Last God. Let's see. Don't, you don't think newspapers do the same? Newspapers, you only know what they tell you. I think um, hip, hip, hypnotism of the masses through the control media, I think that's what The Last God is referring to. Mm-hmm. And the internet provides 
it enables us to bypass, doesn't it? I mean, when I grew up, for example, it was the newspapers, it was Channel um, 4, BBC 1, BBC 2, mm-hmm. and ITV. We had like four TV stations. So yeah. when I watched Gulf War 1 kicking off, you know, we had to accept that the news was telling us Saddam Hussein's troops were grabbing babies out of incubators and smashing them on the floor. There was no <laughs> alternative uh, viewpoint. There was no internet. There was none of that. So I think it's, it's great that um, the internet has allowed us to bypass, bypass the gatekeepers. All right, here's one from Sparky Steve. Ask Vince what his biggest fear is for society moving forward after the last few crazy years. Gosh, I don't know if I can narrow that down to one thing. You know, there's, there's, you know, the gender ideology, that whole movement, um, AI. That that's that's a concern. Not enough people talk about what is that going to do to the world. Uh, just generally, the the forces of Satan just destroying the West. I I, I don't know if I were to give one answer. I, I guess. All things considered, maybe I, I might choose actually AI, which I guess is a little bit out of left field. But I just think about the way that it is going to fundamentally transform all of human society, even if it doesn't end like Terminator, right? I think of how many industries are just going to be replaced by AI over time. I mean, I, I look at the way it can already write stuff better than humans. So what does that do to the marketing industry, right? What does that do to copywriting, all that stuff? But AI is going to work in other ways. Eventually, it's going to figure out how to be good with numbers, good with math. Um, and so there, there is this sort of outcome possibly and and also by the way you already see it in the service sector right how many self-checkouts are there how many i think there's some like food places now they're entirely there's not a single cashier every single i think human industry besides the nerds who are programming this ai are going to be displaced affected and and it's uh it's you think of the impact that's going to have on human society it's going to be a greater change to civilization than like the industrial revolution even was you know, it's going to be that fundamental of a, a change and so many people are going to get displaced. I don't know what to do about it or what the solution is, but I, I, I might give that answer if I were to be honest. Do you agree with David Icke that AI is the path to a Hunger Games society? Um, what, 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 I don't know. What, define, like, what, what would that mean? Like, what, what's, the, what's his logic there? So we'll, we'll be on a prison planet uh, run by AI, basically, where the wealthy have their own areas completely segregated hunger game style from the masses mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I i i could see it i could see it for sure i think the the comparison i might make is like a brave new world or whatever where it's just people are basically totally robotic drones addicted to technology and just they're they have zombie brains that that's probably where we're headed patricia wants to know your thoughts on france is it not? It's not going to paper ballots. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. Are they? Uh, it, uh, it, do, you, do you know the, the context let's, of the question? All right, let's dismiss that one. Let's go over to Ray J. Tucker's dad is ex CIA. Do you think his eyes were opened by his dad? Um, it's 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 an interesting question. I think that. I, 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 actually, I, I don't know if I, I would say that entirely that was the cause of it because Tucker for a while just I, I think he himself tried to go into the CIA and um, you know he just kind of did normal news commentary for many years. Uh, I, I, I think that it's it's more so 
probably Tucker's own experience in the media world, in the political world, in the geopolitical world, right? He used to be that reporter that went over to Iraq and like, you know, reported on the, the news and all that. Um, I, I think it's really his own experience and his own brushing up with all these political characters and maybe a little bit he learned from his dad that really drove him into kind of the person he is now. Less than 10 minutes left with Vince. If you want to get your questions in for him, get them in the comments or the chat. Next one is from Ziva Amrita. Do you have any idea where the USA falls today in the World Press Freedom Index? I'm going to say it's about in the middle. Is it about in the middle? I have no idea, Ziva, if you want to put the response in the chat. But um, I'm, I'm going to say 61. Let me take a wild guess. 61. Is it close? So what's your thoughts on Andrew Tate? You mentioned him earlier. I think he's an interesting cultural figure. I think that, um, you know, uh, he's obviously very divisive and, and kind of has this very, like, rambunctious, uh, eccentric style to him. But I think overall the, the issues that he speaks to were not manufactured by him in any way. I think that um, he speaks to a large generation of disaffected young men who are just fed up and, and feel like they're they're forgotten by society, which they are. And so I, I think that overall, I, I think the, the impact of Andrew Tate is a, a net positive on their culture. And I know people want to criticize him from the right. People criticize him from the left. I, 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 I genuinely believe that overall the Tate brothers are a, a net positive because what, what fundamentally are they teaching a lot of young men to do other than you know, take themselves seriously, work hard, understand that no one's coming to save them, you know. Um, so I, I think I, I would identify them as a net positive in our culture as I would someone like uh, Jordan Peterson or, you know, any of these other, so to speak, people who try to speak to young men. Are you able to speculate on the motivations behind the arrest of the Tate brothers? Oh, I think it was absolutely a kind of a, a political hit job, right? Um, and you guys are in Europe. I mean, used to be part of the EU. You kind of know. Um, obviously, there were forces in the sort of Western region of the European Union that had a vested interest there to, you know, take down the Tate brothers. And I'm sure there were British interests, American interests, if I were to speculate. They are countercultural. They are sort of this force in the West that you know, the establishment would not like. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the Romanian government specifically, if they just did it or they, you know, they got the call from someone, but I, I definitely would speculate that uh, that was the motive, was sort of greater Western interests putting pressure too on, you know, Romania is a small country in the EU. I think it's one of the poorer countries in Europe. It doesn't have a lot of power to really flex on the rest of the European Union, right? So I, I definitely think those sort of forces are were kind of responsible and behind it all. And they took advantage too, because Romania has a little bit of a not so nice justice system, right? So um, I definitely think it was politically motivated. Yeah, and incentivized by liquidating all their assets. I mean, I used to live in mm -hmm. Arizona for 16, 17 years. I had some business interests in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And if I would have been driving around in Bugattis in Mexico and posing with you know like like the tates have posed in romania yeah i think that it would have attracted the attention from the local cops who are on very mm -hmm. low incomes yeah yeah definitely people, in mexico people, it's a big thing they, they the cops yeah. There, yeah same in romania people on very low incomes mm -hmm. got this westerner driving around in these flash cars yeah. flashing all of his money and i think one of the functions of the justice system 
is to liquidate people like that and recycle it. You know, you see yeah. in Mexico, you see the um, local law enforcement, the leaders driving, flying around in these helicopters that they've been given to fight the war on drugs, taxiing the girlfriends around in them and just showing up. So it's, there's a lot of corruption in these places. Definitely. And, you know, I, I, I will say this about the United States as downhill as our country has become and in ways i think our, our country actually does stuff worse than a lot of other parts of the world um i i there's still not another country on earth frankly i would want to stand trial in than the united states right for even even if our, even though even with our justice system becoming more and more corrupted as you probably hear about and stuff um there's just like you, you could not do that in the United States. You cannot arrest a guy and hold him in jail for in solitary confinement for three months on no charges, no trial scheduled. You know, like there are so many protections in the United States where you, you like it's, that's, you, that's against the law. You, you cannot do something like that. You can't have a preventative arrest. And, you know, the, the burden of evidence is generally higher for stuff like that. So. In Romania, you can't even have a privileged visit with your lawyer if you're in Yeah, yeah, you can't even, yeah, yeah exactly, can't even meet your lawyer. We've got to give a shout out to Captain Morgan. Some old people do watch the internet. I'm 90 and spend 10 to 12 hours a day on it. Oh, thank you. Captain hey, Morgan. there you go. Appreciate there you, you being go. here. <laughs> so, so your next question, Vince, is coming from The Last God. And it is, if AI does take all the jobs, will there be new jobs created or will we just now work and go into some sort of universal income? So it, it, it really may, remains to be seen. I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that. We can't envision what's going to happen. But um, I think there will be new jobs created. The problem is the new jobs created are all going to be tech jobs, computer jobs, stuff like that. And frankly, you know, those are not easy jobs. So you have to be a geek you have to be you know science nerd math nerd to really know how to do those things and so this idea that we're just going to be able to take all the truck drivers and stuff and turn them into software engineers that's just not realistic right because the reality is with as as evil of geniuses i think they are they are smart right there's a lot most people out there genuinely are just not smart enough to do those types of jobs and so there will be new jobs created and i'm sure that they'll find a way to get filled but there's definitely going to be this underclass of people who are not able to do this those jobs and yeah they're gonna have to live on some type of universal income or be displaced or i, I don't know what they're gonna do but um i i think that that's definitely gonna be an outcome of ai if if it continues that on this path all right we've only got two minutes left what are your thoughts on who's going to be the next president and what's the role of donald trump so, you know, if I were to be totally honest, I'm, I'm not that optimistic about the 2024 election. It's not to say that Republicans can't win. I think if they approach the electoral system correctly, I think either Trump or DeSantis could win. Um, but my, my, my problem is that, A, the Democrats in this country have created basically a political machine where... So basically what, what, what has happened is ever since COVID, and I'm not going to break any youtube tos here but ever since covid there's this new electoral system in our country where there's like early voting for a month mail-in balloting all this stuff basically it's way easier to vote like everyone is is voting everyone's turning in a ballot now in essence is kind of what's going on um and the the democrats have sort of mastered the turnout game there because they've been built it in, building it in for years and so the turnout 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 republicans in short to just to give you the short answer have not figured out yet how to beat that system 
And so it's, I don't think it's a matter of candidates, candidate quality, ideas. Biden's a horrible president. But unless we create our sort of political machine and turn out games to rival theirs, I'm not that optimistic about 2024, to tell you the truth. And I haven't seen the Republicans getting their act together. So, and What's your personal opinion of Trump? And I, I love Donald Trump. I support Donald Trump 100%. So he was running against hillary wasn't he and george hw mm -hmm. bush voted for hillary well <laughs> that says that says it all right there doesn't what it? does that tell what does that tell you about the uh, the union party right exactly yeah so do you think if trump gets back in then he'll shake things up a bit i i i like to think so yeah i think that i mean let's be honest trump in his career and you see it in him he's a very vindictive man which maybe that's not a good thing, but it, for us right now it is, right? Because there there is an entire political establishment in our country, as I uh, imagine your country, that just needs to be, you know, taken away from power. And I think that an angry Donald Trump, a Donald Trump who feels like he got screwed the last time, who kind of gets back into power, I think he could be a, a very good force, in, in my opinion. I think it's what this country needs. Yeah, these politicians, they just promise the world, they get in power and do the complete opposite. Absolute psychopathic, pathological liar scumbags. Yep. Well, Vince, let the viewers know where they can find you and follow you, please. And we appreciate you spending this time with us. Thank you. You can find me. Thanks for having me. You can find me mainly on YouTube. Just look up my name, Vince Dow. Uh, I also have Rumble, so you can find me on there too. And then Instagram is the Vince Dow. Twitter is Vince Dow TV. All of Vince's links are in the description box below this video if you're watching it on YouTube. We really appreciate that. Thanks, man. You take care. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. You too. Bye. All right. Next up, we're bringing in truth seeker and podcast host, Liberty Lockdown, Clint Russell. Liberty Lockdown is a podcast of people that demand freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. He interviews a number of creators, authors, investigative journalists, and fellow truthers. We're going to be talking about the Pentagon Papers, Tucker Carlson's next move, how Clint has spoke with Julian Assange's family, and Julian Assange is a cause dear to our hearts here. We've spoke to some of his family and corresponded with him as well. And Clint will be taking your questions. So, wherever you are watching this, YouTube... Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Give us your questions. Hey, Clint, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yes, uh, I was very surreal getting to speak to Julian's father and brother, but uh, I, I hope that we get some good news here soon. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Before we get there, though, can you just please tell the viewers a little bit about you and what you do? Certainly. Uh, I'm the host of Liberty Lockdown. I was an entrepreneur and mortgage broker for about 15 years, retired at uh, 37 years old in 2020, May 2020, to start my podcast, uh, shut down a successful company because I was so concerned with the trajectory of you know, liberty on earth, <laughs> much less America. And I wanted to try and put my finger on the scale back towards human liberty. So uh, I've been very gratified to see that the libertarian community in particular has embraced me and I get to follow in the footsteps of some of my heroes like Ron Paul and Dave Smith. Yeah, I used to watch Ron Paul a lot on Alex Jones. And what what's the basics then of libertarianism? Peace and property rights. I mean, that's that's the basics. Uh, you know, anti-interventionist stance. And then uh, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so I, I believe that capitalism is the most beneficial way for civilization to structure trade and for humanity to 
basically improve upon itself without force or coercion. So you're a friend of Charlie Robinson then? I am. Yes. I, I, oh, you... I, I've got to meet so many people through this, uh, this podcasting community. It's been incredible. Shout out to Charlie Robinson. He's a fantastic guy. Absolutely love him. Yep. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing him soon. All right. So, um, Tucker Carlson there. Let's, cause we'll segue over from the last guest to that. What, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? I, I think it's interesting. I mean, um, I, I've really kind of made my name over the past two years focusing on ESG. And I, I think that there's a really compelling argument to be had that the advertising pressure via the ESG mechanism uh, likely played a, a major role in the ouster of Tucker Carlson. I, I think that there's also a compelling argument to be made that the fact that we're ramping up towards World War III and you have the most popular newsman in America that is skeptical, to put it mildly, as to the propagandistic push towards that end, I think that that was a non-starter. And uh, I think that's why he's out. And I think that all of the hit pieces that we've seen by Media Matters, et cetera, et cetera, over the past week have been demonstrating the the truth of the fact that Megyn Kelly and the other ousted Fox employees that, in fact, Fox News creates dossiers against their employees to smear their names on their way out. Uh, really dirty pool. So if democracy is the road to tyranny, are we at that junction now where World War Three is irreversible? I fear we might already be in World War Three, to be honest. But um, you know, for for the sake of humanity, I pray I'm wrong <laughs> because I don't think that we survive World War Three. I really don't think that you can have a a conventional warfare world war, given that there would be so nu so many nuclear powers involved. Almost certainly, it would be China and Russia versus NATO, which has multiple nuclear powers as well. I just don't see how that doesn't escalate into a nuclear holocaust. So. Uh, are we are we at the point where we can't turn back? No, I mean until until nuclear weapons are fired, you always have the chance to turn back. And and I pray that if there is ever a, an order or an instruction that gets sent down to either the Russian military or the U.S. Uh, to fire, that cooler minds prevail and uh, and the better spirits of humanity went out. Yeah, I concur. But do you think there's something? deep rooted in human nature that is psychopathic and murderous. And we see these 100 year war cycles throughout history. We haven't had it full on with nukes yet. But it seems that this, you know, people just roll the dice through greed and ego to get us on the brink of these things. And some of them are so psychopathic, they push push could push us over the brink. Oh well, you're you're obviously correct. I mean, they're they're particularly the people in in the halls of political power seem to be extraordinarily detached from the human cost of war. And when it comes to nuclear war, however, that is something that would impact them as well. So I have to assume slash hope that they would realize you cannot have <laughs> nuclear war without their lives being disrupted in a significant manner. Um, but my, my real deep concern is that because the the petrodollar system and the U.S. dollar's reserve status is in such such jeopardy, uh, there's the potential for really dramatic, uh, basically gambits. You know, just taking taking a shot, hoping that you can 
basically get your enemies to be subdued without them going nuclear. And and I'm of the opinion that given Russia's perspective on Crimea in particular and the warm water naval base there in Sevastopol, that they cannot relent from that, that they, they do view that quite correctly as existential to them, to their national security. And while I don't obviously support the war in Ukraine and I don't support Russia's invasion there either, I think that there's a very compelling rational argument as to why, given that they did have a lease on Crimea, or at least on on the naval port there, that when the Ukrainians tore it up after the Maidan revolution, uh, they felt as if that was uh, not acceptable, uh, particularly given the State Department involvement in that coup. Uh, Victoria Nuland and Jeffrey Pyatt on tape, the Niet means Niet cable that was released. I mean, the, the list goes on and on as to why the Russians should view this as a in my opinion, at, at minimum, a very uh, provoked war. And it's crazy times, man. Do you think that you're judging the politicians, though, as having the minds of normal human beings? Because <laughs> as opposed to devil worshippers? <laughs> as opposed to mass murderers. Some, yeah. of the murderers are, some of the murderers I've interviewed, for example, have asked them questions such as, is the death penalty a deterrent? And they say no, because mm. we don't think we're ever going to get caught. Mm. Hitler thought he was going to keep winning didn't he he didn't think he was going to end up true happening to him so if you're a leader and you've got your hand on the nukes and you've got this psychopathic murderous psychology whereby you don't think you're going to ever get caught you're going to keep winning wouldn't that kind of mentality just drive us all out into complete destruction of the earth yeah i mean it i think that there's because there's a, a chain of command and ultimately it's not Biden that presses a button and then just nukes fire. Uh, if that were the case, I think we'd probably all be dead by now. Um, but I think that there's a, a good chance that someone within that chain, before they actually press the button, will will say, no, this is insane. What are we doing? We're not going to end all life on Earth over some, you know, who, which corrupt government gets to rule over the eastern portion of Ukraine. Like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, your point's well taken. I, I think that the the political class in particular is just completely out of their minds. And I don't even know that they, like most of them, I don't even think have any sort of firm opinion on this war. They're just kind of doing the bidding of corp corporate oligarchs and the people that they're uh, you know, being sponsored by in their campaigns. Uh, but it's regardless, it's extremely unhealthy and extraordinarily dangerous for humanity, really. And what was the role of Julian Assange in all of this? And what is going to be his fate? Well, uh, if it weren't for Julian, uh, my understanding is that WikiLeaks was where the Niet means Niet cable uh, was leaked to and, and was dispersed to people like myself that were able to read it and see that, in fact, uh, it was quite clear that for, from the Russian perspective and according to our State Department, and, and now I think he's the head of CIA, actually, I, I could be mistaken, uh, but there was not a single person in Russia that felt that Ukraine being added to NATO would be an acceptable thing for anybody in Russia. The moderates, the the peaceniks, everybody was just like, this is crazy. We cannot have NATO added to or have Ukraine added to NATO. That is extraordinarily provocative and very, very dangerous for their national security, given that uh, in Yugoslavia, we've already proven that that NATO is not strictly a defensive alliance and there's many other nations that we've toppled since yugoslavia in 99 um so or kosovo rather and it's i mean it's just 
it if it weren't for Julian, we wouldn't know that that backstory. And in in my opinion, the fact that he was willing to release that uh, as well as the collateral uh, murder video back in like I think it was oh eight oh nine, there there's just so many um, truths that were given to the American people and the and the global population that if we weren't privy to them, uh, these narratives about Ukraine and this unprovoked war and yada yada yada, all the nonsense uh, would probably be sticking a lot better than it is. So I'm very appreciative for his efforts and and I I'm you know, devastated to see that a, a true journalist, one of the few that exists on earth at this point, uh, is being treated so horrifically. Uh, but I pray that given that there's been a, a shift in sentiment uh, amongst much of the public, as well as some political leadership, and unfortunately not much in America, but other <laughs> other nations, uh, that there may be a reprieve for him here soon. Do you think he will be extradited to America? Well, if if the efforts to get the charges dropped fail, then it's a distinct possibility. And if that happens, I think that you know his fate is sealed. Uh, I don't think that he would even potentially see a fair trial in America, uh, much as the, well, I don't even know if we should talk about that. I'll, I'll leave that one aside. <laughs> Sorry. Was, is, is that the chief concern of his father? Uh, you know, he really... <clears throat> he he had uh, a capacity to ma- maintain optimism that was really surprising, given what you know his son has gone through for the past decade. Uh, I, I'm sure that's a uh, I'm sure that at the end of the day he's very concerned about that. But he wasn't really focused on that when I spoke to him. He was more uh, hopeful and optimistic that there seems to be a real groundswell of support to try and you know get the right thing accomplished to get him freed. So. What about spying on South Korean diplomats? What's your thoughts there? Yeah, well, uh, from the uh, the CIA or the Pentagon leaks, rather, um, it, it demonstrated quite clearly that <laughs> we, the the U.S. State Department and the CIA most likely is is you know spying on the South Korean diplomats, and, and it's it's tragic because the South Koreans seem to have had the perspective that many libertarians do that they were very hesitant to be arming the Ukrainians. They didn't want to be involved on either side of this conflict. They're not certainly not, you know, arming the Russians either, but they're just like, look, we don't want to be sending munitions to Ukraine because that'll upset Russia and that it puts us into antagonistic relationship with them. We would rather stay out of it. And just that information alone was enough for them to be spied upon. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what our CIA does to essentially every uh, you know, political leadership across the globe. And uh, the fact that it was they're an ally of ours, one of our you know, best friends, and yet we still spy, spy on them. The fact that we have evidence that we were also sp- spying on Angela Merkel, that we were spying on Antonio uh, Gutierrez, the uh, secretary general of the UN. I mean, the list goes on and on. It, there's no trust in diplomacy. It's just it's just manipulation and spying and dark arts at this point it's pretty wild but isn't everyone spying on everyone and thus we've got a spy otherwise we fall behind yeah i guess that's fair um i would rather just not <laughs> be participating in so many wars so maybe the spying wouldn't be so necessary i mean there's always corporate subterfuge and spying that goes on too um but that's far more benign when uh, on the flip flip side of that coin is potential world war three and the end of humanity Oh yeah, I agree entirely. It's, it's the, the the people uh, at the top of entities like the military-industrial complex. 
um you know they're relentless yeah very bleak so when did these pentagon leaks occur uh i believe it was like three or four weeks ago now uh i don't know the the news cycle is kind of a blur but um there was there was some other interesting notes in there too uh i think that the fact that it it disclosed the fact that there was um upwards of 20 u.s special forces that were on the ground in ukraine when allegedly you know we had been told that there was none and that there's no boots on the ground and that would be uh you know overly antagonistic towards the russians and blah 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 and it's obviously factual that there's at least that many there so and then on top of that in the leaks it included uh you know, British special forces and, and many other nations that had uh, boots on the ground in Ukraine. And these are NATO forces, which means that we are risking potentially, uh, you know, an Art- Article 5 declaration if any of those troops were to die at, at the munitions of the Russians, even though the Russians wouldn't most likely be targeting them. But because they're in a, an active war zone with a nuclear power, that really puts us in a precarious spot, does it not? So... It, it's infuriating that once again we are participating in a war without a declaration of war, without a vote on that war, which there hasn't been a vote or a declaration of war from the American Congress since World War II. It's absolute lunacy that we have done that we've allowed this to persist first off, and then secondarily that they that they think that it's okay to continue to do this even when it's a proxy war with the biggest nuclear power on the planet. 6,000 nuclear weapons. I mean, it's it, it just beggars belief. So if you look throughout history, the Chinese empire has had a lot of influence. And now we've got this about the hypersonic missiles. Yeah. Do you think that China's gearing up to make a move after it's you know not done anything for so long? I don't know. I mean, China has been for its, you know, military might, its population size, its economy, its military capacity. It has been a very docile competitor to the U.S. global, you know, empire. Um, so, I don't know if they're gonna try and really test the resolve of both the U.S. and NATO and and move on Taiwan. Uh, I think that it would be obviously cataclysmic if that were to occur because i i do believe that the u.s would intervene on behalf of taiwan and put us once again in a proxy war with another nuclear power this time only with 300 nuclear weapons uh so i guess that's an improvement if you're out of your mind uh but i think that the fact that they're moving towards hypersonic missiles that would be able to you know, circumvent our missile defense systems is is trying to you know kind of balance the equation with mutually assured destruction it's, it's the same exact thing that Putin did once he realized that the expansion of NATO was going to continue up into his border. Uh, they, you know, revolutionized their entire nuclear arsenal and, and in, included hypersonic missiles once again, which makes military or uh, missile defense virtually meaningless. So I, I, <laughs> I understand why they're doing it just for defense purposes. You almost have to. You're so out, you know, you're so outgunned in terms of nukes from the U.S., that the the Chinese certainly were looking at that going like, well, we better have something that works, right? And I think that that's why they added it to their arsenal. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they're going to move on Taiwan? I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Um, looking at the world war histories for going back you know, a few hundred years, there seems to be a similar pattern whereby 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer this in a long-winded way, I think, now. Whereby <laughs> the, the, the main superpower, dominant superpower, starts picking off smaller countries, islands, whatever. Mm. And then there's an alliance of the next powers in the pecking order. They ally. Right. So, you know, Germany and Japan versus the allies. Going back to Napoleon's grand army. Yeah, you got Russia there, and you got um, us, and you know Germany. Um, so I think that the main threat isn't China. I think the main threat is America. If you look at all the countries that America has invaded, I'm not saying America as in the American people. The American people are wonderful. Right. We're talking about the psychopaths that are running the military-industrial <laughs> complex who control the politicians. Um, I, I appreciate the distinction. I, I agree entirely. <laughs> yeah. So. Look at all the countries that America's occupied, invaded, set up a DEA office in. I mean, they've got China um, surrounded, haven't they? If you look at all of the, the yeah, client totally states. Encircled. Totally encircled. So if China encircled America, we'd already, we'd already be in World War. So I can understand why they're feeling the need to have hypersonic missiles. And also, if they did annex the island, then they could justify that as, you know, it's a security threat because it's a client state of the enemy. I mean, if, if Mexico became a client state of yeah. Russia, what would America do? Well, that's exactly what the Russians said with Ukraine. They said that Ukraine is a client state of NATO. NATO is extraordinarily antagonistic towards us. We cannot allow them to be a member of NATO. And if you're going to treat them as if they're a de facto member, well, then we're going to not allow that to become formalized. So then if we were to actually attack, that it would be an Article 5 violation, which means World War III. So it basically compelled them to move when they did. It's terribly dangerous. Uh, but I agree with you. The U.S. empire is the gravest threat to humanity. And, and as an American, it breaks my heart that I'm robbed every year to pay for it pisses me off to be perfectly honest uh not to mention that that it also jeopardizes my life and the you know all of my future progeny it's absolutely insane that that the american people stand by or much less are propagandized into believing that they should be putting a freaking ukraine flag emoji in their profiles to support this nonsense it's not to the benefit of the american people it is not to our national security interests we have no national security interests in ukraine aside from the potential for other things I'm not allowed to talk about that we may have been working on in Ukraine. Um, so it's uh, it's all just it's just unbelievably frustrating that I, I can't seem to get the vast majority of Americans to wake up to how not to our benefit this is. Not to mention the fact that our debts are absolutely explosive. Not to mention the fact that our inflation is through the roof record high in my lifetime and it's largely a product of the lockdowns and the money printing, of course, but it's certainly not helped by sending 100 billion plus to Ukraine. Uh, it's very it's very frustrating that we're ruled by such scumbags. What is the solution then, Clint? Abolition, Sean. <laughs> Abolition of what, though? <laughs> uh, I mean, every three-letter agency. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so I would like to see as, as small a government as humanly possible and preferably none, but uh, I think that really it's a it's a war for the minds at this point. Like, and this is why you and I probably do what we do uh, is because I'm trying to reach people and let them know that there is truth out there. And that if you if you pursue it with uh, with passion, it it gives us a chance 
of fighting back against what seems to be insurmountable odds. I mean, in, in reality, these people don't outnumber us. Uh, they don't really outgun us either. They're just they're just in a position of you know perceived authority, um, and they have the the levers of propagandistic control to to keep the masses asleep and or at at worse, uh, you know, pinning us or pitting us against one another when in fact we're not each other's enemies. Um, so I, I hope that you know before we have some sort of World War III or an economic reset, as they call it, uh, I hope that we can realize. Who's actually manipulating and abusing us? So we've had a question from Mark Wilson, Clint, and it is, what's your thoughts on the role of central banks such as the Fed and the Bank of England? Well, I think that they're responsible for... I'm, I'm an Austrian economics guy being from the libertarian camp, so uh, I believe that they are legalized uh, you know, money printing schemes and they should be abolished and that the the global population should be in opposition to central banking as it's uh, a prerequisite for Marxism, but it's also uh, just filled with crony nonsense that, that isn't to the benefit of the people. Uh, it's, it has basically created uh, the, the income inequality, which the left laments constantly is largely a product of the Canelon effect, which comes from central banking, which means that those closest to the, the money printer become extraordinarily wealthy while everyone else is, standard of living uh, you know depletes exponentially and and we're now in the the late stages of that but this is not late stage capitalism this is late stage crony capitalism and it's a product of central banking so i oppose it entirely so adam smith said all accumulations of debt end in bankruptcy is that inevitable and are we seeing invisible bankruptcy through inflation well all, all accumulations of debt in a bankruptcy is an interesting statement because I've I've been in debt and I paid it off, so it's not it's not. Said, I'm sorry. Let me let me correct that. I think he said okay. all great accumulations of debt, and he was referring okay. to he was referring to states. Okay, states. got you. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the because of democracy and because of the electoral cycle, there's never any imperative for the current person in power to do the painful thing because it ensures that their political future is ended. So you need someone. Who is, I don't know if I lost you there, Sean. No, keep going, I'm just changing the okay. battery. Okay. Um, so there's really there's really no incentive for the politicians to do the right thing. So you need a heroic figure that, that will come in and and just do it regardless of his political future. And there's very few people like that. That's why I was such a huge supporter of Ron Paul, because he was the type that would have actually done what needed to be done. I don't think that there's any hope that the, the GOP or the Democrats will actually you know, swallow that bitter pill and implement austerity as well as, uh, you know, diminishing the the amount of borrowing as well as the Federal Reserve, you know, hiking interest rates to the levels necessary to to break the back of inflation. It's because of the debt that we're in and because of the national debt that exists, they really can't do it without driving themselves into insolvency. So the, the rock in a hard place position is insurmountable at this point i think that you have two choices you have full default on the national debt or you have hyperinflation now that's not to say that it's imminent but i believe that it will happen in our lifetimes and it didn't have to come to this so i'm once again pissed off <laughs> so you invested in gold sure am <laughs> uh gold uh bitcoin and silver uh that's my primary and then I, I was a real estate uh, developer, and I, I have six houses that I'm selling right now. Uh, I actually intend to go to probably 50% cash because I, I, I think that there's a really good chance that if the Federal Reserve's hiking rate cycle creates a, a deflationary death spiral, as you see these uh, banking 
institutions that are going belly up. I think that there's a real opportunity that we see a, a brief repeat of the 09 through 2010 period, in which case I should be able to pick up some things on the cheap. So I'm, I'm trying to play both sides of it, both the hy hyperinflation in the long term, but deflationary in the short term. Oh, thank you for the super chat sticker there, friendly homie. <clears throat> and um, so we're almost out of time. So libertarians, then you want to reduce government, get rid of bureaucracy, get rid of bureaucracy. Um, if government has become something that just the main drive is expansion, to create more work for themselves, how can libertarians ever be allowed into that fold? If the vested interests just want continuous expansion? Well, uh, this is kind of a, a black pill, but also a white pill. But the, the nature of the state and the nature of bureaucracy is one of kind of uh, bloat and lack of nimbleness <laughs> and lack of innovation and lack of productivity. It, it creates a, an opportunity for those that the individuals to find gaps in their their armor and and kind of innovate our way through. I think that Bitcoin and, and the blockchain environment is is an example of that. The internet, the decentralized uh, platforms that are are starting to pop up, as well as the competitors that have popped up like Rumble, etc., that are are trying to compete with YouTube, etc. Like these are all examples of when bureaucracy becomes overbearing, when censorship becomes overbearing, when the state becomes overbearing. You start to see innovation. There's still there's still a, a desire, the human spirit still yield or yearns for, for liberty. And uh, I think that while it's very challenging, and yes, it will be very painful, people didn't expect when I was born that the USSR would fall nine years later, and it did. And I think that the US empire will fall too, and there are brighter days on the horizon, but it will be very challenging in the interim. Well, look what happened to the British Empire. All right, Clint, <laughs> thank you for coming on, man. And just tell the viewers where they can find you and support you, please. Absolutely. Anybody wants to uh, support me, you can go to Liberty Lockdown on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, just search Liberty Lockdown, and then at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter. Just hit 80,000 followers, which is pretty cool. And uh, I also do Tower Gang on Wednesday nights, which is where I get to let loose. That's a comedy show. Um, you can find that on YouTube as well. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Oh, thank you very much for spending time. I really appreciate it. Cheers from London. Have a good one. Take care. Yay. That was interesting. And we've had so many questions coming from you guys as well. Thank you, guests, for sending the questions in. And, you know, even though it was um, scary to hear about all these theories of World War Three, what is it, David? I always ends with a note of love. And people saying, I'm looking pretty scary today. I'm looking pale and sweaty. And that's... Some people are saying I look like I'm on drugs. I am actually on drugs. And if you didn't join us at the beginning, I've got shingles. I'm going to do a shingles reveal right now. Steven's oh, already God, seen it. Oh, God, look away. If you're easily <laughs> triggered, look away. <laughs> yes. Warning. Graphic graphic content warning i'll just show you one patch because i've got it all over my back and all over my front i can't sit back in the seat because of the egg-like boils of yellow puffs that are coming close to maturation and it's supposed to go down after that so you but, wouldn't recommend um, yeah for everyone in the comments who's wondering why the hell I look like I do and I'm acting like I do, <laughs> I'm sat here on severe painkillers and I can't even lean back in my chair. 
It might, it might pop the eggs. <laughs> feel like there's um, nettle stings and electric shocks running through them. All right, on that note, I'm going to hand it over to Stephen. And we're going to go to eight tonight, Ash has told me. But I'll come back for the close, brother. So take it from here. Cheers. Thank you. Feel better. Hi, Keith. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Good to be here. Good stuff. Welcome to Outward Unleashed. Uh, I was just checking out some of your uh, content a, a little while ago, so I'm really looking forward into getting into that because I think a lot of our interests actually cross over, funnily enough. But maybe you could just tell our viewers and listeners uh, what your channel focuses on. What do you do? Uh, I cover a lot of different topics, actually. I've got some stuff on uh, kind of deep politics, uh, you know, looking at the, the sort of deeper structures of like the American government system, history of sort of CIA psyops and so on. Uh, a lot of my content is like nationalism focused. Uh, that's one of my big uh, sort of focuses right now is nationalism in the West, the direction of that. Obviously, I'm in Ireland. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in that direction in terms of uh, the mass migration that's been happening here. Uh, hate speech laws that are currently being passed. Uh, just this massive transformation we're seeing across the West right now, uh, this transformation into globalism. So a lot of my content is is focused on sort of critiques of that. Excellent. And just as a side note, I was in Ireland for the first time last week for four days or so. It was lovely. I was kind of blown away how ridiculously friendly everybody was. It felt almost like it was a stereotype playing out. I was like, surely I'm going to meet a real arsehole at some point, but it didn't seem to happen. I'm not seeing that up as a challenge, by the way, Keith, just in case you're wondering. But um, maybe you could tell us about your views on nationalism then, because it's a, it's a dirty word. It's often conflated with racism or white nationalism, perhaps, as well. Uh, but there is something to be said for a national identity of a nature and, uh, sorry, a nation rather, and how in many ways there are efforts to erode that, uh, depending on your output or, or viewpoint, rather. So wh where do you come in on this angle of uh, nationalism? Well, most basically, uh, nationalism is a, is a principle of governance. It says that uh, people should be sovereign over a state. The basis for a state is that it represents a people. You know, the world is is made up of peoples. I know it's it's popular now in, in sort of academia and like left wing circles to deconstruct this idea that you know peoples don't exist now, right? The English are just like a combination of different tribes and Angles and Saxons and stem for the Irish and every group, and you know they'll deconstruct everything down to. Uh, atoms and then they can deconstruct the atoms down to subatomic particles and so on. they'll get very uh, nothing exists right no people exist but i think everyone recognizes right there are peoples uh they have their own customs they have their own ways of life uh they have their own traditions and nationalism just says basically that the you know the the peaceful proper way to govern is to allow those people sovereignty over a homeland um this is the way that things kind of played out since the, the collapse of, of monarchies and so on is, you know, what you found is that as this idea of democracy and self-governance spread, that it tended to spread along the lines of nationalism. Like you think of the sort of anti-colonial uh, movements in the 20th century, and uh, a lot of them had like Marxist uh, ideological trappings, but really it came down along this principle that proved to be popular universally, globally, that a people should be entitled to rule themselves. And no one really objects to that. Um, you know, even people that are very globalist in the West, right? They defend something like uh, Ukraine in the in the Russian war, right? Their whole their whole thing is is that uh, the worst thing ever would be that the Ukrainians should be subjugated by another people, right? And they're all waving the Ukrainian flag. 
I mean, that's 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 a principle of nationalism. So even in, in the background of like liberal arguments, it's kind of there. But then, you know, you try and apply it uh, in, in a fair way uh, or in a sort of principled way. And of course, you'll get the usual uh, attacks of, of racist or bigot or so on. I mean, that that's interesting because I think you really hit on something there in the, in the fact that we don't tend to condemn the idea of nationalism or its importance when it's a non-Western state. Um, so what... What explains this almost reflexive uh, response to nationalism in the West, where we seem to rather enjoy attacking ourselves more than anyone else does? We seem very keen to tear down institutions, traditions, uh, cultures, things like that, that have been uh, traditionally uh, popular uh, in the West. Well, I do think it's very elite-driven, right? I mean, if you look at Poland on mass immigration uh, in every country, people are very much opposed to this. Uh, I did a video on this recently um, where I presented some arguments against mass immigration, and I did look at like the democratic argument, and I looked at Poland, and it really is incredible. I mean, they've done this uh, globally. They've polled countries, and there isn't a single country in the world where the majority are in favor of more immigration, which is kind of an incredible statistic, right? And it's even far more outside of the West. Like, you look at countries outside of the West, and it's generally like 90, 80% of people are opposed to any more migration. So this was never something that had popular support in terms of the transformations uh, we've seen, especially in the last few decades in the West. Uh, so I really see it as an elite-driven thing. And... I, you know, people can get very deep into like sort of psychological explanations of, you know, wh why do Western people sort of attack and deconstruct their own uh, history so much? I think it really is elite driven in terms of, uh, you know, we have an elite that is, uh, you know, we have this sort of liberal capitalist system and we have this sort of cosmopolitan elite. And, you know, these are people that operate globally, this global financial system. They don't especially have ties to community, to tradition. They tend to be more uh, cosmopolitan, open types. And ultimately, uh, you know, these people benefit from globalization. These people are the winners. Uh, they're the, the super elite, the people that fund the NGOs, the people that um, direct academia uh, and media, the people that control the media, own the media in many cases. And their interest isn't in having a nation state. You know, it's kind of an older form for them. It's kind of outlived its purpose. And this new form of governance, of globalism, of global NGOs uh, making decisions through policy papers, of like a rights-based pluralism where no people really can uh, assert ownership of a homeland. And it's ultimately an, uh, an anti-democratic principle in that no people is sovereign. What's sovereign is these kind of abstract rights, which ultimately cashes out to rule by NGOs. Like we have this in Ireland now, uh, they're passing hate speech laws uh, some of the most draconian hate speech laws I've ever seen. I mean, they can literally arrest you for having a meme on your phone that could be interpreted as potentially spreading hate, right? Which is how open to interpretation is that, right? Uh, but this is all policies that's just drafted by NGOs, by a professional class. The politicians in many cases don't seem to even know the legislation they're voting for. Um, they're told to vote for it. Uh, and it is this global super elite that's crafting this. It's the same policies in every country. And what this legislation does, just as an example, uh, you know, on the cover, it stops hate, right? It's legislation against hate. What it really does, this kind of legislation, is it says that the Irish people can't really express sovereignty over their, over their homeland again. Because one of the reasons this was brought in is there was a huge people's movement uh, against what's being called here the new plantation, where they bring in thousands of unvetted economic migrants 
class communities usually. And people were starting to organize against this. There was a serious people's movement. Um, it was spreading internationally. It's getting huge media coverage. Uh, it was spreading to communities across the country. And politicians said explicitly, like, we need hate speech laws in order to basically deal with the leadership of this and, you know, stop the spread of hate, which when you cash that out and see what they actually mean when they talk about, you know, spreading hate, what it cashes out to is something like uh, an advocate for these communities saying the Irish people should be sovereign over Ireland, right? That's that's a that's a hateful statement there. So, yeah, I see in terms of why, you know, why in the West, why this transformation? I think we just have an elite that is, uh, you could use the word like treacherous, right? They're, they're not loyal to nations. They're not loyal to any tradition or identity really beyond the global marketplace. And nationalism is just an, uh, an obstruct to that. That's a good answer. Very comprehensive. Um, I suppose, I mean, it's worth talking about some of the content you've produced and you've used this phrase, new radicalism, and you've, you've pointed to a few uh, instances of this and a few individuals in general. But what do you mean by this idea of new radicalism? Yeah, so I, I wrote a substack on this. Uh, it's the first substack I wrote because um, normally I, I stick to video, but I thought this was worth kind of cashing out more comprehensively because I, I have been observing this for a while that I think mostly due to trends with technology and with the internet especially we're moving to uh this kind of new phase of media that's really something we haven't experienced before right we're moving away from the traditional sources that people generate their opinions get their sources of information uh and it's becoming very sort of decentralized and tribalized in a way that i don't think anyone could have predicted like a decade or two decades ago and this happened in sort of 2015 16 something like brexit the trump phenomenon like i don't think trump would have got elected without the internet um there was all of these sort of uh east celebs that popped up to support them there was you know i remember infowars used to get like millions of views on their youtube channel and that was actually one of the first interviews trump did in his campaign was he went on infowars which was a very big deal uh no president uh, no presidential candidate had reached out to all media in that way before uh, so we were witnessing something that we could sense was very different. Like people were getting radicalized on the internet. They were getting their views uh, from people online that wasn't from Fox News or CNN or whatever. And they were discovering new sources of information, new worldviews. Now that was heavily cracked down on with censorship. And we had leaks from Google with Project Veritas where uh, Google employees said, literally, we came together and conspired to make sure that there could be, uh, that there could never be another Trump. So they were pretty clear about it. Big tech was pretty clear that they recognized this and they basically worked to destroy this. And in a lot of ways they did, right? You had huge censorship on Twitter uh, prior to Elon Musk. Uh, Facebook just wiped out all kinds of, like any kind of political, uh, what we consider radical political ideas were wiped out. YouTube, huge censorship. Every platform really was just utterly transformed in the space of a couple of years. There was levels of censorship people would have never expected. But I think what's happening now in the last few years is that process is restarting because basically, you know, those banned people, the people that were the victims of censorship in 2016, 17, they've figured out new ways to get around this. And that kind of, you know, that pipeline of uh, sort of radicalization is, is starting to flow again. And I think there's a few examples of this. One of the obvious ones is something like the, um, the growth of TikTok of short form media content, something like the Tate phenomenon. Now, I'm not a fan of, of Andrew Tate. There's a lot of problems I have with him, 
but uh, at the same time you have to recognize that uh you know more students in schools in britain know who andrew tate is than they know who the prime minister of britain is right um and a lot of a lot of young men are seeing that and being brought into a kind of worldview they would never have if uh they did not discover that so there is like a potential there for something you see that uh, again this kind of uh process that happens with technology where people are, are moving to different sources of media and now suddenly we're starting to get solutions to censorship in terms of i think the guest that was on previously mentioned something like rumble which is starting to have a lot of success uh elon musk's twitter uh hasn't been perfect um Elon actually replied to me recently on Twitter. So, you know, I was banned off Twitter for a year and a half. So it kind of shows how much things can change that rapidly. Um, but it, it is better in a lot of ways, right? I think there, I think anyone that's on there now would say uh, in terms of how many people you can reach, if you're not an established figure, it's a lot more. Uh, the level of draconian censorship, a lot of that is gone. So I see a lot of kind of avenues open up where people are starting to question the mainstream narratives where there's new ways they can they can find these figures that offer alternative perspectives. And also, I think one thing that's driving this is just like how, you know, radical or extreme the establishment has become like. In a way, you know, you think there's never a line with the public, right? You can always push them further and you can make them adapt to anything. Uh, people will buy anything with enough brainwashing. But in a sense, I think the last few years, I think they almost have pushed too far in a few things, like something like the, you know, the the trans ideology, the LGBT ideology. People are genuinely like really starting to push back against that. Um, I didn't expect the conservative boycott against uh, Budweiser, which did it in response to Budweiser making uh, this figure, Dylan Mulvaney, the, the face of its advertising. I didn't expect that to achieve anything, to be honest, because I've seen so many of these attempted conservative boycotts and they don't really go anywhere and they last for a couple of days on Twitter and that's it. But this is actually a huge success. Uh, Budweiser sales are, are plummeting. I saw another article today. They removed the head of marketing that came up with that marketing campaign. Um, their stock is down like uh, 20 plus percent and it's, it's still fallen. So um sorry not the stock sales it hasn't affected the stock so much yet but that was a huge success by conservatives and i think that specific issue is something where they kind of did push too far and you have these people now like uh matt walsh uh michael knowles some other conservative influencers that have become very popular on the right and you often get with sort of these conservative figures like that they they're very compromised in their worldview uh but these guys really aren't compromised on this issue they they are almost more radical pushing back against this than anyone was uh, five, six years ago when this issue was just starting to be known. And they're really like articulating a strong case against that. So I think in a lot of ways, like the left has, has gone too far on the social issues. I think the right is kind of recognizing that the old way of playing this game isn't working so much. You know, you look at uh, maybe what happened in the last election and the, the right's reaction to that. I think people are recognizing that sort of playing by the left rules or, or trying to uh, you know, kind of be friendly to the other side. It's not going to get you very far with these people. You have to assert your own worldview. And then there are those radical figures there now. There are the platforms like Rumble, Telegram, alt media sites, and so on, where people can find these people. And so all of this is kind of converging to have this sort of, like I said, retribalization, where now people are able to reject what they're being given by the mainstream and find, you know, a community that's waiting there with an alternative. All right, so a, a lot to pick up on there. It's a great 
comprehensive answer again. Um, so I suppose I just as of a general curiosity, as, as somebody who's had numerous Twitter bans themselves, did you ever get a concrete reason for what your particular crime was at all? There's they said platform manipulation, which is extremely vague, but it, it was just one of those things. It was a huge ban wave. I remember in, in December 2021, like half the half the people I knew got banned on Twitter within a, within a day. So it was just it was obviously something like some NGO or something had handed them a list and said, you know, uh, this sort of network of accounts needs to get wiped out. And that's what happened. Um, but at the time, Twitter was changing a lot. I think Jack Dorsey had resigned only a couple of weeks previously. Um, I just just done a video talking about how, how bad things were going to get on Twitter. And then it kind of proved my point. Like I got banned like a week later. Uh, Paul Singer, who's an activist investor, became a major shareholder on Twitter. Um, and yeah, they started outsourcing censorship to these sort of shady NGO organizations. So like I said, it, it looked very bleak. Um, and the fact that, you know, somehow now uh, those people have no power at Twitter anymore is is kind of, a, you know, it's one thing to be some somewhat optimistic about. Yeah, I think I think it'll be looked back at particularly crazy to realize that misgender, quote unquote, misgendering someone was considered a, a red line on Twitter for the longest time, which put a hell of a lot of women's rights activists into this argument with one hand tied behind their back, really, which might might move on to Dylan Mulvaney in a moment. I suppose just as a general curiosity, I've always seen this progression in technology that you mentioned, this almost uh, democratization of it uh, as a positive thing. If, you know, you can be a citizen journalist. You don't have to rely on gatekeepers to tell you what stories you can and not cover. You can break a story before mainstream news channels can, for instance. But it seems to me now it's become somewhat of a wild west where it's more easy for people to actually fall into a groove and only sort of consume one piece of information or one source of information and almost live an alternate reality in that way and find fellow supporters to that feel the same so i mean is this idea of democratization of, of the media is this is this a truth is this a real thing that's happening or is it just made us more myopic in our political views well i do think it's both uh and that that is kind of the downside of it is um you know, how do you have like a shared narrative or a shared truth if everyone is in their own kind of tribal grouping and deciding sort of what they believe based on what they want to believe? Um, but that just seems to be, you know, the general direction of things. And, um, you know, it's it's a problem, but it's like, is it so much a problem for us as it is for the people that are, that are trying to, to uh, organize uh, mass society in terms of the, the people that are in charge right now? Um, because it seems like they'll never be able to get a shared consensus on anything again. Like I think of something like the Iraq war, which is only two decades ago. And after 9-11, like George W. Bush had something like a 92% a approval rating, which is, is kind of crazy to think about now. And it's like you can't imagine a U.S. president ever having that again. Like it's always going to be half half the country hates whoever the president is. And I think if if the U.S. tried to do another war whether it was in the middle east or anywhere else i don't i don't think it would even be possible because of how fragmented society is uh, there would be so many groups that oppose it for different reasons you know there would be racial advocacy groups that are uh, you know opposed to it because it, it doesn't benefit whatever group they represent there would be 
um, conspiracy theorists that would uh, oppose it for certain reasons. There would be an anti-war movement, libertarian movement. There would be a left-wing movement. There would be all these sort of young communists. It's like trying to get people to buy into a shared narrative like that again just doesn't really seem possible. So I could see ways that that will be a problem in the future in terms of if you want to look at it like sort of civilizationally. Uh, but I guess for us, um, you know, who are out of power, it's like uh, it's it's kind of more of a problem for people that are in power right now because it's I don't really see a solution to it honestly. Yeah, so just to circle back to Dylan Mulvaney, it might just be worth describing who this individual is. Um, I mean, as far as I can see, relatively talentless, prances around cosplaying as a woman. As far as I can see, some sort of grotesque caricature of a of a woman, in fact, which I understand. You know, I understand why many many women I know find it. You know, quite offensive so I, I can sort of understand the outrage to it and the condemnation and the, the sort of the right-leaning conservative obsession with their rise to prominence but why are they so popular in in a successful way in the in the sense that they have you know millions of online viewers they've been invited to the white house endorsements with you know bud light you mentioned earlier i think i think even some sort of sanitary towel uh has provided them with endorsements so what what explains the popularity of this individual from a positive standpoint yeah i think uh nike as well he's, he's advertising for oh yeah the sports women's, bra women's uh, yeah. Nike yeah yeah it's, it's crazy i mean it is bizarre because it's not that long ago that this really wasn't an issue. You know, people forget, but like the whole like uh, Caitlyn Jenner, like magazine cover, all that stuff. I mean, no one was really discussing like, you know, trans rights or, or any of this stuff. And even even a decade ago. Right. Um, and this whole idea of, of deconstructing gender like that was that was the first. You know, I remember in, in maybe 15, 16, like people would post videos of people saying this like to laugh at them. Uh, it only took like two, three years for that to become the orthodoxy. So it is very bizarre, but I mean, yeah, what, what motivates it? Um, I mean, I think again, you can, you can maybe, uh, deconstruct a lot of this, uh, very deeply, but I, I did see a poll recently that like, uh, in the U S at least the majority of, of, uh, young, uh, liberal women that's like liberal women under the age of 35 like the majority of them have uh, a diagnosed mental illness um and i think there's this weird thing in in society now you know we have a, a very sick society for obvious reasons you know the breakdown of the family the lack of, of community the lack of any sense of, of meaning that most people have and you know people are very mentally uh, sick and unwell and we've gone into this thing with with social media as well where there's become this sort of valorization of of difference um even like a, a celebration of of mental illness in a lot of cases um you saw this a lot with like sort of the the tumblr phenomenon like that the social justice warriors came out of um but yeah this like you know uh liberalism in the west seems to have moved into this into this phase of of just celebrating difference for its own sake like anything that's not normative is good right uh, it's not good to be white. Uh, it's not good to be male. Um, you know, it's not good to be middle class. It's good to be whatever is different. And there, there's almost like a hierarchy. Like if if you're non-white, that's better. Uh, if you're a gay person, that's better. If you're a trans person, even better. It's like a hierarchy of of victimhood because liberalism in the West has really tied virtue to victimhood. You don't have to achieve anything to be virtuous, to be worthy of celebration. You know, you don't have to go off and win any great battles or come up with any great innovation 
but a lot of people see it now as as a source of of virtue and a source of meaning just for them to celebrate their victim status um and that seems to be you know what the politics of of the left now is is very focused on um i do think this benefits the the elites as well to go back to to kind of what we started on because um it's very easy to control a population like that right you see these people they're, they're very useful foot soldiers for the establishment like I actually saw a, a video of this Mulvaney character where he, in response to the backlash, he said, well, people that misgender me, I, I just think that should be illegal. I think they should be in jail. Um, and I was arguing with some of these people on, on Twitter today. You know, I saw these people, uh, you know, they have the, the trans flags in their bio and, and stuff. And they, they all support the most... Personality disorders listed, usually. Yeah, yeah. And they all support <laughs> the most authoritarian legislation in terms of, you know, defending these hate speech laws and, and saying they support anyone with... Basically, anyone with, with bigoted views to support locking them up. And it's like, you know, when that's the kind of norm of your society, it, it's very easy for, for the people in power to just... Uh, stamp out any kind of uh dissent from you know basically the the healthy normal people that might want a society that's not run along these lines right for sure i mean i mean just keeping on this topic because it's something that's been fascinating me for the last few years this topic of sex and, and gender and how that's portrayed by the you know quote-unquote progressive left is, is there a possibility this is the one topic that will make them come unstuck because they've pushed a lot of uh you know propaganda false narratives faith-based thinking on things like race and various other social issues and uh, the average voter's not really possibly invested in a lot of these things but every average voter can tell you instantly what a man and a woman is and i think that's having a collision with reality in a way some of their other claims aren't i mean i don't think i don't think we can have an election cycle now without somebody being asked what is a woman and a lot of people are making their mind up on who they will vote for specifically on this one particular issue yeah no i agree with you i think it's not going away and i think it's going to stay unpopular and you know something i mentioned like the the tate phenomenon like if, if you talk to young men like um the thing is like there's really nothing cool about the left like maybe if you were leftist in the in like the 60s you could be like anti-war and kind of anti-establishment it was kind of cool but it's like you don't really encounter young men that are like all on board with the establishment like they're all on board with like trans rights or whatever i mean you know you find some some kind of weird people like that but for the most part like there's nothing really uh cool or interesting about this agenda so of course people are going to find things like andrew tate or what whoever the influencer is that that opposes this stuff um but yeah what you're saying is correct and i actually think like the more intelligent leftists recognize this as well uh this was something i mentioned in, in the subsec i did is uh someone like bill maher right he's like an old school leftist right he was always kind of pro free speech and uh, kind of a moderate on a lot of issues, um, like not not super radical on a lot of stuff. Um, and in the last year or two, he's started doing a, like a lot of monologues that's really against the trans rights stuff, really against the LGBT stuff. Uh, I saw an article in the New York Times last year that was uh, attacking the use of puberty blockers. So what what you're starting to see is the more intelligent leftists, uh, or you know, the more sort of centrist, like liberal types in the Democrat Party. They're saying, hey, this is like causing us a lot more problems than is necessary, because if we just kept quiet about this, you know, we're kind of winning on every issue. And this seems to be the one thing that is really mobilizing people and making them radical. Um, but the problem is they can say that, but it's not really changing anything like the the, the left has kind of uh, it's become like the Frankenstein's monster, right? Like the elites created it in a sense through the academic system 
um, you know, through NGO funded and so on. But now this ideology of, of uh, victimization and so on has taken on a life of its own. And it's like, you know, the the sort of uh, blue haired uh, liberal, uh, you know, graduate and, and gender studies, whatever. It's like they're not paying attention to what Bill Maher has to say. They're not paying attention to what the New York Times opinion pieces had to say. And they don't care if this issue is unpopular and it's going to cost like the Democrats votes in a midterm election or something it's like who cares so i don't think there's any breaks on that train and yeah uh, that's you know that was the whole basis for for my argument is like there's no breaks on that train and now for the first time people have sort of an alternative and so i just see like both of those things accelerate it's a good answer keith so maybe you could tell our, our viewers and listeners where they can find uh, more of your content uh, where how can they find you on twitter to start with assuming you last last out the week yeah, well, uh, I'm getting a lot of engagement on Twitter right now since uh, Elon <laughs> interacted with me. Um, so I don't know if that's good or bad for my account. Maybe they'll like put a special, uh, maybe I have some special protection because the boss interacted with me. I hope so, <laughs> the golden I'm probably getting Yeah, I'm probably getting reported a lot right now. But yeah, it's uh, Keith Woods YT, like YouTube YT is my username there. Uh, you'll also find me on, on YouTube, just Keith Woods. And yeah, I put all my links in my Twitter bio and all my YouTube videos. You'll find everything there. Awesome. And I think they've just been dropped into this conversations chat so people can can find you on them platforms as well, including your Substack, I believe. Excellent. All right, Keith, mm -hmm. this has been a pleasure and it's, it's flown by. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on and speaking to me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All the best. Very intelligent guy, eloquent speaker. Um, I was watching some of his videos earlier, and I, I, I don't think I don't think he appeared in them. And it felt like okay, so this guy's reading. Uh, so maybe when he's not reading from a script, perhaps might maybe he won't be as eloquent or as ordered in his thoughts. But no, he absolutely is as well. So it's quite it's quite refreshing. It's uh, it's a good skill to have that if you if you can speak as well as you can write uh, that is really helpful i'm going to try and bring in our next guest mike thank you for joining us how are you doing i'm great excellent great start loving the uh, for the people who may be listening to this on audio i've got some various star wars paraphernalia in the background so there's that r2d2 stormtrooper yep i got let's just uh, talk about the shelf for half an hour there's a lot going uh, on <laughs> yeah i've got a lego globe up there that i that i have a bunch of globes over on the side here is that 2D or 3D? It's the important question. It's a, it is it, it's actually a bunch of Lego surfaces and they're all this the individual pieces are flat with bumps on them. So <laughs> I think the, the flat earthers will find that uh they won't know what to think. Excellent. All right, well maybe that's a good place to start. I mean, maybe you can tell us exactly what it is you do. What do you focus on? Uh well, I mostly do flat earth debunking and it mostly turns into just science education. I debate flat earthers which is then a, uh, you know, I'm teaching an unwilling student science uh, because, <laughs> because flat earthers don't understand science generally. They think they do, but they, they almost never do. Um, I say almost a little generously. So yeah, they, I do, I do, do the debates uh, typically every Tuesday night. And then I do uh, a bunch of other um, videos on that are pre-recorded and scripted on my conspiracy tunes channel where I, I just kind of, kind of take the piss sometimes 
Excellent. Well, I mean, I'm worried here because I'm a skeptic and I feel like I'm just going to nod along and kind of ask you how people can possibly believe these kind of things. And I'm sure you'll give some good answers to that, too. But it might be a good idea if people in the chat, people who are on the fence, on the flat earth theory or are full on proponents of it might want to get some questions in there now. And I'll put them to Mike at some point. But uh, I suppose the first question is, is the earth flat? No. And we're it's done. It, yep, that's it. No, uh, the, the easy, the easiest understanding that the Earth is not flat is that the sun sets. Um, ancient cultures thought that the Earth was flat, but they said that the Earth, that the sun at nighttime went in a tunnel underneath the Earth, or a portal, or something like that. They didn't know that nighttime for them was daytime for somebody else. But now we know the sun is always up somewhere, so it, it can't just go underneath the dirt. It's uh, it's on the other side of the globe. So that's that's the most simple thing. The sun could never set. And they, they don't even have the basic. It's kind of you really only need like elementary school geometry to understand that. They, they don't <laughs> grasp that. Well, I mean, you spoke a moment ago about uh, educating somebody who's invested in, in this idea. And you, to have an, a view like this, which is I think it's fair to say an extreme view, the idea that the Earth is flat. You must have gone down a serious rabbit hole of constant misinformation and that really you know embeds you uh, in this ideology it's often well more often than not mixed in with conspiracy theory uh, as well so i mean how do you even begin to reason with somebody like that because there's these reasons to believe just stating fact, scientific facts at people in response to their views doesn't really move the needle much you know there's the idea that perhaps a socratic method might be more useful how, how do you approach it with these people uh, when you're not taking the piss, that is. Uh, yeah, and and when I'm talking to them, I, I I try to come into the conversation fair, and a lot of the time they they have no interest, so it, it goes off the rails quick. <laughs> so how well, yeah, uh, you know, you can falsify flat Earth through you know things like the sun. The sun could never set, or the the angular size of the moon doesn't dramatically change throughout the night or the day. You see it during the day too. Um, but yeah, how do you how do you reason with them? Well, the, the reality is that in, you, they didn't get to be flat earthers through reasoning. They're unlikely to get out through reasoning. So when I debate them, really, it's just entertainment for intelligent people. Uh, you know, people watch. We enjoy no, doing what we know the flat earthers are going to do. Uh, there's there's the intention that there are people watching that will maybe be inoculated to it. They'll They'll hear these different things and, you know, have an understanding of, oh, well, that talking point from the flat earthers doesn't make sense because they heard an explanation of it where you might not have heard an explanation for it before. People might, one of their, the ones they like to say is that the horizon always rises to eye level, but it doesn't. They'll, they'll show a video in a plane. You're like, oh, there's the horizon, but where is eye level? They, they lead you down this path to think that the eye level is where the horizon is, but there's no actual measurement of it. Or they'll do the same with the balloon that's at high elevation. And of course, the, the camera is wobbling up and down. They're like, oh, look, it rose to eye level. Well, where's eye level? We don't know. So when you actually go measure it, you can do that for yourself in a, uh, installing an app on your phone to measure eye, um, eye level. Go in a plane and see. Oh, no, it didn't. It's three and three or three and a half degrees below eye level is where the horizon is. So something like that is is um, a way that they can fool people into thinking that the earth is flat because they, they don't have the background to know that. Yeah. And I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me 
that people would believe extraordinarily false things but the mindset fascinates me and i always find a way to sort of cut through a lot of it is to get them explain to explain well who would possibly benefit from such position i don't think i've ever heard that this in terms of or you know i've not heard an explanation in terms of you know the flat earth ideology so obviously the idea must be that this information is being concealed from us by some overreaching entity a government perhaps a new world order whatever it might be this is being intentionally kept from us and covered up so what reasons do they usually give for this what how do these people benefit from pretending the earth isn't flat yeah so there's two primary things that they say the first and it's ridiculous uh the first is they claim that they are hiding god that that somehow if if people were to discover that that the earth was flat and that there was a dome over it and whatever that that everybody then would realize that the earth was flat and then they would say, Oh, but God made it just for us. Um, there's not a lot of atheist flat earthers. So, I mean, there's a little bit to that, but then you have to say, well, who's hiding it? Well, they are hiding it, whoever they are. And it's, it's so impossibly convincing that everybody will definitely believe in God if they, if they find out about it, except for they know about it and they are not convinced about God. So if the people hiding it aren't convinced, then it certainly isn't actually that convincing, right? It it, it falls apart when you just analyze, you know, the, the, the idea at all. The second is the claim that, and, and the guy coming on a little bit says this, um, says that they are hiding more land, that there's more land past Antarctica in some bigger, wider thing. And these people generally don't think that there's a dome over it. They don't generally think that, that it comes down in Antarctica. So they, there's differing positions on that. Um, of course, when you actually look at that, it also doesn't make sense because every time in, in history when new lands have been discovered, there's been, what, a rush for everybody to go there and claim it by sending people there, right? When, when America was discovered, what did England do? And Portugal and Spain, you sent everybody here. I plant this flag. I claim this land in the name of whoever. That's what they do. That's what they do when, when new land is discovered. Well, yeah, sorry about that, by the way. They, it's all, it's all good. We, we had a little skirmish later about it. <laughs> yeah, T went overboard, and, and we were we good again. Yeah, all is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so there's all that didn't happen. Why would they not say, all right, everybody, you from our country, whatever country, go claim it so that we can be more powerful because of it? It doesn't happen either. Um, those are the two reasons why that I generally hear. There's a few other kind of less popular ones, but those are the main ones. Okay, that's cool. That's the first time I'm hearing those, actually. Uh, can't say it's moved me much, but it's, it's good to know. I mean, you said something interesting there about atheists uh, not overwhelmingly not subscribing to the flat earth theory, I suppose, because a lot of them reside in that sort of sceptical camp. There's a correlation there, isn't there? And it made me just think of some of the other the other con uh, kind of phenomena you've covered, and that's this idea of flat earth evangelism. Now, this is interesting to me because it's not simply just a conspiracy or a belief or something friends get together and talk about. People are actually going out and proselytizing this belief of the flat earth. I mean, is, is this an indication that it has strayed over into the realm of religion? 
Yeah, well, it always was religion, really. That back in in eight, the 1880s, Robottom, who was uh, from England, there, he uh, he came out of a, a, a religious uh, commune. They actually kind of kicked him out, I think, because of his his stuff. And um, they, so he he started doing it as you know a, a religious tie-in. So it's always had this background of of religion. But yes, it is. They, they try to make, they try to claim science supports them, but in reality, no science actually supports them. And then when you show the science that doesn't support them, they still continue to hold out of the belief because it's a belief, it's a religion. So yeah, when they go out on, on street corners and travel around the country and, and start yelling on loudspeakers, uh, there was a guy here in the United States, went to Mount Rushmore, got uh, set up a loudspeaker, got arrested because you're not allowed to do it where he was doing it they're like you can do it over here but not here um there's people in england that that do it um not just at like um speaker's corner in in, yeah. in london uh, hyde park hyde park yeah right that you kind of expect that kind of stuff there but they'll they'll go everywhere there there was a tour around europe of a bunch of flat earthers that got in vans or something and brought their stuff set up in parks and started proselytizing on uh, streets there I love the idea of a global tour of flat earthers. It's quite yep. quite delicious on the face of it. Uh, Fred in the chats asked a, a great question about demographics. How many flat earth people are there? Do we have any sort of handle statistic wise? How many people subscribe to this worldview? There, there are a few different things that people have done on demographics. I don't think they're very accurate. Uh, uh, things like in Brazil, it's actually very popular. Oh, education is kind of poor there. Um, in America, you know, flat earthers they they like to claim all sorts of wild stuff like the majority. Uh, they'll say believe it, but of course that's not the case. I I run into people all the time who are like, "You do what on YouTube? I've never heard of that." Um, so they've actually never heard of flat Earth. So they laugh they laugh at the topic even. So what percentage? I would say it's significantly less than one percent. But because it's a religion and there's there it's such a deep held thing they're noisy about it so they make more noise than the people that that have a religious position on some topic that other people don't agree with you know uh hangs tight as us so if it's flat do planes fly at an angle or horizontal i think anyone who's ever been on a plane and looked on the graphic in the the front of them on the on the passenger seat in front of them can give you an answer there but please feel free planes fly uh typically they they get up to to speed and they get to elevation and then they they average everything out or balance everything out there's four the four forces of flight um and they get them so that it stays at the same elevation which is elevation is not curve it's the distance from the center of the earth or distance from a, a zero point um and and because air pressure is lower when you're higher and and higher when you're lower right it sits in this band of equal pressure and without giving it more thrust, it's not going to leave that band of equal pressure. So it will continue at that same elevation generally um, over time. So the, the actual, they actually do tip their, their nose up a small amount because they're always fighting against gravity. So that's how they, so horizontal or, or vertical or whatever, not, not quite. 
Porsche. Is there a, a cost in your mind in terms of a drain on your time and, and, uh, and mental faculties having to debunk all this stuff? Because you all know better than anyone that it takes minutes to throw a conspiracy theory in the air or a bit of misinformation. It can take months, years, decades to fully debunk something. We've seen this with sort of JFK shootings, you know, 9-11 truthers, things like that. I mean, you're, you're dedicating a lot of your time to cleaning up a lot of mess. Does this ever make you think perhaps I should do something else in, in the nicest possible way? I, I sometimes do, but it's my hobby. Yeah. I, I like doing it. I enjoy doing it. Um, I, if all the flat earthers went away tomorrow, I would find something else to do. I might go back to doing martial arts. I might uh, do more woodworking uh, or do more science education on YouTube. Um, so I enjoy it. It is, it is interesting. They do bring up on occasion, something new. And then it's a chance for me to learn something because, um, you know, I, I, I've read, I've read a lot of Einstein's relativity stuff since talking with flat earthers. I wouldn't have uh, learned these things uh, in, in as much depth as I have otherwise. That's a really important point. As well. I'm a big subscriber to sort of the John Stuart Mill way of thinking in terms of living truth, constantly having your ideas challenged, even if you're 100% in them, because if they're not challenged, you just end up regurgitating dogma and you don't really understand the things you believe. So I, I imagine you've learned a lot about you know physics and the, the earth just in the process of debunking a lot of the nonsense. Yeah. Um, I studied electrical engineering and computer science at university and, and uh, I've written software my whole career. So coming back around into the physics stuff that I studied when I was um, in school has been, has been great fun for me. I always enjoyed physics, less biology. I'm a, I'm a media student. It's far too difficult for me. Physics is a real subject. I try to do the bare minimum I can get in and out is my is my thing. Yep. I, I defer I defer my uh, knowledge to people like you who are far more informed. Um, somebody's asked as well. Does science say that the universe is flat? Um, in in an understanding that flat earthers could not understand. <laughs> so, <laughs> and 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 it's definitely outside of of uh, normal intuitive physics. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that to, uh, you know, you can, you can watch some things or read some of the more um, advanced things on it. But uh, yeah, in, 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 in the not shape of the earth type meeting, yes, it is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm often worried as well about these ideas because I suppose, I mean, the internet's really helped, hasn't it? Uh, these people can find each other and, uh, you know, pat each other on the back and affirm each other's views, and they can now organise in a way which wouldn't have been possible a while ago. Now, how do you think the internet ha has shaped our discourse and culture? Because to me, a while back, there was this almost naive uh, understanding that, you know, the internet's not real life. These these people with these kooky ideas can't really affect anything. But it does seem to me like there's been a fair bit of spillover of conspiracy into the mainstream thanks to the internet. I don't know how you feel about this. Oh, it, absolutely. You know, before the internet, every town, you know, every village had the village idiot. And the internet has made it possible for the global community of village idiots to communicate with each other fast. So flat earthers are just the village idiots that are in a global community community of other village idiots. <laughs> uh, and um, I think I said at the, the start of the show, I kind of 
mention that I think flat earthism, it's an extremist view in many ways. And for me, I'm a big believer in this idea. I think it might be in Voltaire. I can't remember who said it. This the idea of those who believe uh, absurdities will commit atrocities. And I was just wondering, have you seen anything in your research uh, to denote that these people might spill over into doing something in terms of activism or more direct attempts to convince people of their worldview? I, I don't think that flat earth is the impetus for that. Yeah. You, you, there are people that have done things that are flat earthers in recent times. Um, and I'm sure that will continue. But they also have, like, like you notice, other things, right? So flat earthers go for the whole, the whole list, right? They don't get to flat earth without having gone through or, or bringing along with them all of the other things. They, you know, the whatever, you take your pick. Chemtrails uh, must be in oh, the, I would it, imagine. It, it, yeah, chemtrails is almost mandatory. Um, <laughs> they, they, they are, you know, the, the Q, Q people, huge overlap with Q um, huge overlap with, you know, all the, 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 the things that the Q people talked about that people, they claim do with kids, all that nonsense. They, they've, they make those claims all the time and you know, it's pretty disgusting, but that's usually coming from somewhere next to flat earth. So when, so I, I don't think there's going to be a, a, at least not in mass and any number of flat earthers are like doing violence in the name of flat earth. Um, I have had many threats against me, some death threats against me um, from flat earthers, but they're on the other side of the internet. So you take what you take, you know, it's, it's, there's only so much. Um, I do intentionally keep things about me private so that, uh, you know, I don't want them showing up at my work or anything. It's interesting what you say because it's not a pick and choose with the conspiracies, is it? That kind of indicates it's a mindset more than anything else. It's not. It's not like someone's going to be on board with chemtrails and uh, you know flat Earth and then turn the nose up at moon hoax landings, for, for yeah. example. Um, our tireless producer Ash has asked a great question: Who does Mike think is the high priest of the flat Earth community? So who who's the final boss of flat Earthism? The final boss. Oh, there's a few. Uh, I wouldn't say high priest. I don't think that's a fair word, but there's there's a few. Um, there's um, Mark Sargent, Jaronism, Eric Dubay are the, the most prominent ones. Uh, Bob Nodell recently died, uh, so he I would have included him in there. You've got uh, Dave Weiss, who you've had on, though I, I don't think he's quite as prominent as them. Um, if you go like towards the religious portion, there's there's kind of the the, the religious flurfs, religious ones. Um, Rob Skiba was, but he's he's passed away too. Um, there's not uh, Rob or Nathan Nathan Thompson or Nathan Roberts has left sort of. So there's not like uh, leaders in the that's kind of stick out that are prominent like super religious portion. That, there's a lot of them, but the none that stick out. And then there's actually some satanic flurfs. Um, there's one Mark Braun. <laughs> it's the first time I'm hearing flurfs, and it's it's hilarious. Yes, yeah, flat flat. It's a <laughs> portmanteau of flat earth. Um, so Mark Braun is is the oldest flat earther. That's a serious flat earther that I know of. That's still on YouTube. He literally claims to be Satan. There are flat earthers that follow him, including the guy that's coming on after me. His uh, his main guy in his video 
uh, Tanner Stewart follows Mark Braun, has done the blood ceremony, blood magic ceremonies that is prescribed by Mark Braun, things like that. So there's, it's an underworld of, of there's thousands of videos that are tributes to Mark Braun um, and thousands of videos that are Christian religious flirt stuff. Um, but yeah, the big ones are, are don't tie it in too tightly because they realize that it, it, it uh, tends to create schisms. So, I mean, I suppose, I mean, I'm used to seeing people, um, I have rather seen people defend creationism and, there are always people who do it better than others. And, you know, some would be out, they'd be outright kooks and you could easily dismiss a lot of it. A lot of them would exploit logical fallacies, uh, which were, you know, sometimes harder to dismiss. In the names of those people you just mentioned, I'm going to ask you to do something that might make you uh, feel uncomfortable here. But can you name any of those where you think are far more impressive or, or give you cause to concern? Um, more impressive. So it well, made you think a little bit more about how to respond rather than just, I can see oh, straight away what this person's doing. No, none of them were challenging. Uh, there are some that do debates that, that are better at debating. They're better at making themselves appear intellectual when they're not. So they, they tend to fool their, their audience a little more. Um, they're not as prominent. They're trying to be, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have none of them that I listed, but the, the debaters are a little more, but it's a kind of an underground, like it's this street fight stuff is the debating stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, well, let's just say for instance, that you're, you're out in a public setting, maybe a social gathering for instance, and it's not a debate format. You don't have an audience. It's just you and some individuals and fellow human beings. And you hear one of them espouse flat earthism he's a full-on fluff and you take it upon yourself to in the nicest possible way in all sincerity approach them and try and have open dialogue and see if you can move them a little bit what what's your opening gambit how do you how do you you know approach a person like this um so well i i, I mentioned it earlier the sun could never set <laughs> angular Fluff and moon. turf by mr freeland apologies that that's excellent that's a new one <laughs> um, I love it. Uh, so, so that falsifies flat earth. And then how can we know that the earth is a globe? Well, there's, there's several things. One, you can look at the angle to the celestial poles. So Polaris is near the North celestial pole. And so as you, as you travel southward, the amount of the, the dip in angle of the celestial pole is linear instead of a sine function or it's actually an inverse tangent function as it would have to be for flat earth. So that's consistent. You have the same thing south of, of the equator with the south celestial pole. Um, there are two alternately rotating celestial poles. North rotates the opposite direction is in the south. Something predicted on a globe and absolutely impossible on flat earth. They have tried many different explanations, but none of them actually like, like, have any scientific meaning behind them. They just say words and there's nothing to, to support their, you know, it makes sense to them because they don't, you know, they didn't get to it rationally. So putting just a bunch of words together with some buzz phrases are, is, uh, is convincing to them. Yeah, but I mean, science, actual science, especially physics, is very difficult and takes a long time to really get to grips with. Whereas just invoking some mystical them and attributing a load of, 
you know, bizarre um, outcomes to it is much easier. I suppose the most controversial thing I'll ask you in our, our discussion, I've saved this close to the end of the conversation in case it really goes off the rails, so bear with me. But what did you think of the rise of Skywalker? Because <laughs> uh, I'm wearing this. Um, I like episode four, five, and six. I did not like episodes one, two, and three, but the newer ones that Disney did, I'm okay with them. Just okay. That their Empire is still my favorite. Yes, yeah, it is, it is the benchmark, isn't it? I think a lot of a lot of films tried to kind of get that gritty, hopeless ending tacked onto their their sequels. Nowadays, it seems to be a, a template. Mandalorian doing it for you. I I've only watched a little. My kid, my kid started watching, and so then like our our I don't know what channel is it. It's under Disney, yeah. Disney. Then I'm Disney like Plus. I can't like I can't log in and then have my own view because he's way ahead. So I'm like, all right, when he's done, maybe I'll. But I, you know, when it, I just don't watch a whole lot of TV. So if you're a Star Wars fan, I, I can highly recommend it. it. Feels like feels like old school Lucas esque uh, Star Wars. But moving back to the topic at hand, we. From, from Tatooine back to Flat Earth, um, the psychedelic fish has asked a great question. What difference to one's life would it make if the world was flat? Uh, other than all of the observations that would be dramatically different, not really. We would all still have to pay our bills and we'd still eat and we'd still go out to party on the weekends and do whatever we do. It wouldn't change our lives a whole lot. Um, some Flat Earthers would say, well, then, you know, then everybody would know about God. But you know, the reality is that more than half of the people on the globe believe in God already. So it's not really, uh, you know, if, if they're doing it to hide God, they're completely failing. <laughs> is there not a, 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 an unfortunate chicken and egg issue we have here where if flat earthers were left to their own devices, they probably wouldn't get most, much notoriety, but they do because people respond to how absurd it is and then give them a sort of spotlight they did not earn? That's a, that's a valid, valid thing. The problem is, though, that when they're unchallenged, like in 2016, 2017, they grew quickly and a lot. And there, be, there, there is this flourishing of flat earthers because they weren't challenged. So I don't think I don't think you leave misinformation unchallenged. This is the particular flavor of information that right now I am challenging. So um, but left to their own, they would continue to get you know, YouTube views or Rockfin views or, you know, whatever they would continue to make proselytizing videos like Sean Hibbler did. Um, they would continue to show up in every uh, NASA live stream or SpaceX live stream <laughs> chat saying earth flat, earth flat, you know, like that's all CG. I've been there. I felt the heat <laughs> on my face from the rocket it's not CGI. I felt the the sonic boom in my chest. It's not CGI. I can't think that's that. that's blow my mind. Can you? You could never have predicted NASA would one day have to deal with trolls coming into their live streams, declaring the Earth was flat. That's that was on nobody's bingo card, was it? Surely. No. And if they were, if they would just you know be quiet, then then nobody there there i wouldn't have anything to do but speaking of bingo cards i do play bingo when i debate the flat earthers and oh let's run through some of the greatest hits on here what have we got i can see cgi in big capitals yeah, there la laser test uh youtube as evidence that demand proof but then they never want to see it uh 
Um, moon landing fake, of course, is, is almost a requirement. Uh, claims without evidence that new name for gravity, sometimes they call it dropity. Or bet, bet, <laughs> just a different name. I might actually adopt that one. It's cute. Yeah. Uh, well, th this has flown by, and I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. I mean, maybe you could tell people where they can find out more of your inf information, uh, so you're more of your content on this topic, sure. and perhaps where they can find that excellent bingo card as well, if you put it online anywhere. Uh, yeah, the bingo card's on my website, mctune.net slash bingo, I think, or there's a search. You can just search for bingo. My main channel is Conspiracy Tunes. Uh, on YouTube, that's where I have the recorded videos, and my debate channel where I do the live debates is MC Tune Live. Excellent, Mike. I've, re I've really appreciated speaking to you. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Take care. Thanks for that, Stephen. Rounding I... up the show. Interesting flat Earth stuff, though. All right, Sean. Um... I'm I'm done. I'm out of here, aren't I? This is me. You, we're we're all we're all out of here. It's over. It's, and huge thank you to the viewers. It's over. Thank you to the viewers. Thank you for all your questions. If you want to watch our coronation special, it's called Meghan Markle versus King Charles. Two hours with Julia M. It's on Patreon right now. It just went live at eight PM UK or it's coming on the main channel on Friday night at nine PM. And we've got steeples on Markle Thursday night at 8 p.m. So it's going to be a wave of royal coverage as we approach Coronation Weekend. And what are you up to, Stephen? Are you going to be doing substacks on King Charles? Uh, possibly. I know that I've got an article coming out in Spiked tomorrow about the gender binary, which I imagine will generate no heat and or vitriol online whatsoever. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. All of Stephen's links are in the description box below this video. Please support what he's doing. You can find his YouTube channel, his Twitter, his Substack. And hope to see some of you in the chat tomorrow. And have a great coronation weekend, wherever you are in the world. Yes. <laughs> Seagun just put in the chat, Steeples is legend. Steeples goes bonkers on Fergie again tomorrow. If you're looking forward to another Fergie rant. Then, 8 p.m. UK, Matthew Steeples. Take care. Much love and respect. Cheers, everyone. Thank you, Thanks everyone. Thanks for watching. Thank you for Ash as well. Cheers. Bye.